Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 293. This episode of Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Producer Megan on the six, Cody Saftik on the line. Cody Saftik hitting like five PRP lines last week, including, you know, having, uh, you know, winning a little shoey bet. I got my cheater, my cheater shoe right here uh, in the flesh, ready to throw down a blue lobster. They're not paying me anything, so I probably shouldn't have said that. Blue lobster, vodka soda, cranberry lime. 6% though, Cody. I ain't fooling around here. It's the uh, private. Yeah, those are popular on the east coast of Canada, actually. So yeah. I, uh, every time I go down, it's kind of like, oh, I want a blue lobster. It's like a, a blue lobster. But I think it's like the east coast Canadian ripoff of a white claw. You got a blue lobster instead. So yeah, I mean, uh, enjoy it. It'll get you drunk. 6%, man. There's an extra percent. Oh, yeah, that it will. So for all people talking smack about me doing seltzers, Yes, this does taste better than a beer, but it has more alcohol than a beer. And uh, and cranberry lime, I don't know if this was like the optimal setup for me to be doing this. It's going to be a bit sour, but uh, we'll get through it. I mean, yeah, I, I blame producer Megan. She peer pressured me into taking that three to one shoey bet. And uh, frankly, yeah, your girl covered covered that number and more. Turns out 40 year old women. Not exactly very reliable in uh, in the in the fight game. Turns out, who would have known? Who would have? Well, if, yeah, three three to one odds. I could see how it was tempting for you, but at the end of the day, it is air fair. And so that was kind of like the one outlier from last week's card is that every French fighter won. There was one fight, Gomez versus Garamudi. They're both French fighters, but like every French fighter won, and the judges were going to do everything in their capabilities to make sure. That the French fighters won, but there was no saving Zaire Farron, man. Nobody could do it. No. Forty years old, unable to make any type of adjustments in that fight. So yeah, I'll take it. Last week was good in the sense that we hit five lines of tickets, so the parlays were good. Won the shoey bet, so I'm okay with that. Did good in Toutmaster, and then on Prize Picks, man, on Prize Picks actually killed it. So Benoit Saint Denis was a over one and a half takedowns. He ends up getting five. And then we had Angelusa on an over one and a half takedown. He got six, almost got knocked down in the third round and blew everything. But at the same time, I thought we were pretty spot on there. So yeah, this week we'll check a couple of those over-unders on some, some maybe some takedown props in terms of prize picks. Check out prize picks if you haven't already done that. And then, yeah, I mean, UFC's gone from Singapore to France to Australia. So they're continuing their international tour. We got a little bit of shit in the apple pie. We got no crap in the, in the crepe last week. Well, hopefully nobody drops any dung in our Vegemite. I don't know. What's what's the Australian dish? Not sure, but hopefully we can make it another winning effort. Hopefully there's some shrimp on the bobby. That, <laughs> That's, yeah, 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 that might yeah, be it. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Let, let Cody cook. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Cornhole. Cornhole did not win that fight. That was like, that was like that like, was a je ne sais quoi type of decision. Let's be honest. No, I got mixed emotions there. So listen, I- I've got Edwards. And if Edwards wins, man, we hit so much more and so much fatter. And everything would have been really nice. But at the same time, she tried to win that fight on the basis of four shitty-ass head and arm throws to the ground and nine minutes of top control. But she did get outstruck. All the better shots were landed from Cornell. And, and listen, I, I want to scream robbery as much as the next guy, but it was just a bad fight. 
was a bad fight that was subjective. And it was the French fighter in France, but it wasn't a robbery. Like people are really, really hurt by it. And I got a lot of messages from people being like, I lost money on the night because of that bad decision. Like, bro, we had it all the way at the bottom because it was a shitty 50-50 women's MMA fight. Like, how could you have that much invested in it? But people seem to take it pretty hard. So I'm kind of taking a similar approach to this card in Australia. There's obviously a bunch of hometown fighters, and some of them may or may not actually win the fight. But if they can just keep it close, you know the crowd's going to be on their side. The judges might be from America. It doesn't matter. The crowd's on their side. So every time the whole hometown guy lands anything, there's a pop. Every time the opponent lands anything, it's dead crickets. And that does change you because it's human nature, right? There's a lot of subjectivity. So yeah, keep your eye on that. But as we'll talk about, this is a pay-per-view. The lines have been out for a long time. Everything is steamed beyond reason. Mm -hmm. So there's really no great lines left, to be fair with you. But it's that it's a pile of favorites that are falling between the minus 230 to the minus 350 range. You got Izzy Adesanya, who we'll talk about in just a second here, who's like a minus 650 favorite. So where is the value? parlaying a few of the big favorites together great we're gonna chalk chase again we just need them to win but who is going to shit on the veggie might that's what we need to figure out because sure to god one guy's gonna do it nobody did it in france like every favorite one i think except for cornell people will say robbery again close fight more of a 50 50 fight like call it even there's no underdog that won there yeah edwards was like minus a thousand live like close like near the end of the fight pretty bad decision Pretty bad to see, particularly because... Is that, is that the be particularly, that we're using now? Particularly because there was like a 30-27 given to Cornwall as well. Like, I don't know how you watch that's that. That's a bad card. That's I don't know card. how you watch... If it went in like 29-28 and it was like a split, I'd be like, all right, it was relatively close. But like, I mean, minus a thousand live, that's a better barometer than, than what bros are saying on Twitter. This this shoe is getting warm. I better I better indulge. Yeah, we've we seen a similar fight with Eric Anders versus not Da Jung Park. I don't know, Korean name Park. But anyways, everyone who's hardcore that's laughing at me at home knows who I'm talking about. But Eric Anders just did the same shit, man. You just leaned on him against the fence the whole time. So there's two ways of looking at that. It's an advantageous position because you're initiating the cleanse against the cage. If nothing's happening, then you're winning the position. But when your opponent's landing knees to the body, they're landing short little elbows to the face. I see these things. It's just like, oh, you're punching from your back. Yeah, punching from your back's tough because the person's literally on top of you. So everything he throws is going to generate much more. But if the person on top's not throwing anything, and you're throwing elbows and strikes off your back, I see that. And I think judges are starting to see that. So every time Jocelyn Edwards had her up against the cage, she wasn't doing shit with it. Now, she would get the takedown. She'd toss her to the ground. She would sometimes improve position. But literally, her grappling looked improved by Jocelyn Edwards' standards. But it's not like she put any type of clinic on. She was just able to wrangle her up and throw her to the ground. Standing, she was getting her leg kicked. She was getting hit. The bigger shots, the elbows, certainly. And when you look by the striking numbers at the end of it, she got Jocelyn Edwards got outstruck something like... I don't know, 38 to 18 or something, 40 to 18. Like, it's a bad fight, but she gets outstruck. She lands something like less than 20 significant strikes true. over 15 minutes. So you're just going to go with the fact that she was on top and had some cage control? Listen, and I thought she won, and I had her. I'm just saying you have to recognize the other side of it, especially as a gambler. If you want to be a responsible gambler, PRPs aren't super responsible. I'm saying if you want to be a responsible gambler, you have to realize that these are the type of spots you just avoid. There's no gain to be had. There's no, this is a great two-unit play. You just avoid it altogether. And then when it's close and it's contentious and your fighter didn't do shit, but they got a couple takedowns and some top control, you can't go and scream robbery. So listen, it cost me financially. And I 
thought Jocelyn Edwards won the fight, but I can recognize enough of it that it's like, ah, listen, I put myself in that spot. And if I could go back, would I go the other side? No, it was just a greasy 50-50 fight. If it takes place in America, Edwards wins, likely. It's still a close fight. 30-27, inexcusable. Hopefully we don't see this on this card, but 12 good fights to get to, so let's jump on in. Yeah, we talked way too long about Edwards versus Cornhole. That's, I, I think People were fired we, up. we probably talked more about it than any other MMA gambling show. We'll talk about it this week. Nobody's going to be talking about it, nor should they. Because we got 12 great fights to talk. Well, 12 good fights. It's kind of a weak pay-per-view, but uh, it's a very regional card. Lots of Australian fighters, obviously. Uh, city kickboxing is on display in a number of fights. Um... So let's get into it. We got Israel Adesanya taking on Sean Strickland in the main event. Minus 650 Adesanya, plus 475 for Strickland. Um, Strickland, quick turnaround, obviously coming off of that win over Abus Megamedov, where got touched up in round one, and then Megamedov just fell off of a cliff. Um, And Strickland does what he does. Like, it isn't pretty, but he'll walk you forward. He'll throw a ton of volume. And he makes it kind of ugly. He's going up against somebody who's very, very crafty, very, very technically sound, is going to have a speed advantage at range. I understand why Israel Adesanya is a massive favorite here. But we're here to try to make money, right? And I would love, you know me, I love betting underdogs. But after you kind of saw like the Pereira fight, Strickland goes into that, the game plan should be, I'm taking on one of the world's best kickboxers. Let's go try to take this guy down. Let's hold him up against the cage. Let's make this an ugly fight. Let's not just hang out at kickboxing range and eat shots from a much better tactician in that realm of the game. And, like, if you listen to any of Strickland's uh, interviews and stuff, he's just like, sometimes the, uh, the CTE just kicks in, and I just want to throw down and bang. It's just like, it makes it hard to gamble on him. I mean, I think as Adesanya wins, if this line kind of keep, if it keeps growing and we're getting like plus 600 on, on fight night and I'm having like a good night, I may throw a little bit on Adesanya. On your side, I know that, you know, you're doing the PRP, you're doing a whole bunch of parlays and stuff like that. I imagine Israel Adesanya is going to naturally be at the top of the PRP. And then you have the easiest hedge at the end with Sean Strickland at like plus 450, plus 500, depending on what the number is on Saturday when the fights go down. In theory, Strickland could make this an ugly fight, could hold the fight up against the cage, could pursue some takedowns. He has those skills. It's just I don't know if I can really trust him to employ them. I think there is an outside chance that maybe he makes this really, really dirty, stays in boxing range, like, you know, stays inside of the range of the kicks and could maybe squeak out like a split decision victory. But like, I think that's kind of a big outlier. I think if he actually wants to win the middleweight title, he would be best to do it by pursuing some sort of grappling, making this ugly, trying to wear Izzy down in the early rounds and then take over late. Um, I mean, out of Sanya, I, because I, because of what happened in the Pereira fight, and he just went in there and kickboxed. So, like, it's hard for me not to pick Adesanya. But uh, Strickland, if, yeah, if the price is right on Saturday and I'm doing well, I got a little bit of extra money to throw around. You know me. I can't help myself. I'll probably throw a little little Skrilla at uh, the Strickland money line. But, 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's juiced out of proportion. Like, does Adesanya win this fight like nine times out of ten? I don't know. I don't know about that. That seems pretty wide. Again, you make a lot of valid points, and I think that's kind of where we're at with the line, is that no one's kind of, maybe some people, but most people are agreeing that Israel Adesanya is the rightful favorite and should win the fight. It's just like, at what point do you play this number? Personally, I, I got this thing lined up closer to, Minus 425, minus 450. Israel Adesanya, the longtime champion, is the matador, and he could very well be exactly that. This could be a tailor-made fight for him to stay on the outside, use his speed advantage. Sean Strickland's pretty lumbering, comes forward, wants to stay in boxing range, wants to make it an ugly fight, but against an actual skilled kickboxer and a natural counterpuncher like Israel Adesanya, he should be mince meat. He should be able to just stick to the outside, pick and plod, jabs, low kicks, rack up some volume, rack up some numbers, land the better shots. And at the end of the day, not going to be a super entertaining fight, but he wins the majority of the rounds. And because he's got the hometown crowd, they're not going to go against him. In a close fight, they're going to give it to him, right? That's what should happen. But of course, it's MMA. So like, what's our worst case scenario here? And that Sean Strickland, the dirty hillbilly, could very much make this a dirty fight. And if he does, it becomes interesting. It becomes interesting for me for a number of reasons. You mentioned the takedown, and that's, of course, interesting. Sean Strickland does come from not a wrestling base, but he spent a lot of time at Dan Henderson's camp in Temecula, California. Uh, relationships made there that continue in his career to this day with Chris Curtis. And he spent a lot of time with Sam Alvey. The guy can wrestle. Now, the Alex Pereira fight, everyone's telling him, wrestle, wrestle, dude. You've got to make sure you wrestle. He decides to be an idiot, and he gets knocked out. But I think he did learn from that. Like, he's not the smartest guy going, but he did learn from that. He made a lot, number of interviews saying, my pride got in the way. I fought a bad game plan. And if I think if he was to redo it, he would probably fight a lot different. Then that last fight against Abus Magomedov, yeah, first round he, get, he loses, but it's almost like it's all part of the game plan. Like, he fought super patient. Like, normally he just throws down with these guys. Instead, he just waits there and just lets Abus get himself tired. And then all of a sudden, second round, comes on like a man on fire and puts him away. So there's things to like about him. Another thing I do like about him, as much as Izzy Adesanya may be the greatest 185-pounder, him and Anderson, you know, they're kind of both pretty dope, but... He's he he's legit. He's legit. But the numbers are a tad bit low, Paul. Now, he's fought a ton of five rounds. So you have a lot of portion sizes to look at, different fights to look at. Pretty much all of them. You know, him and, and him and Alex Pereira the last time out. Or sorry, um, I guess you would look at it the not the last time out because it's a second round knockout, but the, the, the first encounter in the UFC, two fights mm -hmm. back. But he lands 86 and that fight ended in the fifth round. He had landed 86. Before that, Jared Cannonier 116. And that's actually his career high is 116. Him versus Robert Whitaker, 79. Him versus Marvin Vittori, 96. Him versus Jan Blokowicz, which he had got taken down in the later portions, but 78. Even people will remember that god-atrocious fight with Yoel Romero back in the day. Five rounds. He landed like 48 significant strikes over the course of 25 minutes. Strickland's not that guy, man. Like, even if he's not as technical and as skilled, he's coming forward and he is throwing down, man. He's fought a couple of five-round fights, and in those ones, he landed 182 against Nasruddin Imovov, a middleweight who was moving up to fight a guy that was 200 pounds. Stupid fight. All the same. Huge numbers, right? Him versus Sean, uh, him versus Jared Cannonier, a common opponent. He lands 152 significant strikes. Him versus Jack Hermanson, 153. Him versus Uriah Hall, 186. These are sickening numbers, man. Sickening numbers, especially by the middleweight division. So there does pose the threat, at least, that Israel Adesanya is trying to be cute. He's trying to be pretty. He's trying to pick and plot. Like, he's not a natural power puncher. He's a, a surgical, precise striker. Right. So if he hits Sean Strickland, maybe he knocks him out. But if he does not knock him out, he's going to just have a swarm of volume coming his way. It's hard fighting off your back foot for 25 minutes. 
It's hard fighting a guy who takes your best shots and is coming forward. And it's hard to fight a guy that might actually pose a threat of a takedown. So why isn't Sean Strickland a live underdog? Well, he is a live underdog. And if the fight's in the U.S., you feel way better about it. But in actuality, it's in Australia. Izzy's going to have the hometown crowd. And like, I just think his shots are going to be a little bit sharper, maybe a little bit more eye-catching. And even if he's getting it worked by the numbers, I still think they give it to him. In terms of the wrestling, yeah, interesting. Sean Strickland suddenly becomes a wrestler. Yeah, but how good of a wrestler really is he? He spent time at wrestling camps. He's trained with other wrestlers. His takedown defense is solid. But to suddenly think he's going to come in here and put in a singlet and do what Jan Blockowitz did, a little bit far-fetched maybe. So, I don't know, hometown crowd. The number's way too big. I think if you're at the end of the night and you got a bunch of tickets in play, you hedge them out of there. I know we let it roll with Cyril Gone. It worked out, but I didn't let it. Uh, I didn't hedge out last night in the contender series. I got a 7-1 to favorite in the main event, and he gets knocked out in the first round, right? So, so just take the hedge. It was an easy hedge. It was the world's easiest hedge because the guy had huge plus money. Strickland, same boat. So I'm not picking Sean Strickland. I'm picking Israel Adesanya. I'm just agreeing with a lot of your points that the value is not quite there. So I'm more of a chalk chaser, but guys that are looking for strict value at the end of the night, five bucks, 10 bucks, lunch money, having a beer. Yeah, Strickland's your guy, man, because he's going to pay a lot and he's going to fight for your dollar. He's He's been known to be that guy. He's just going to have to do it now in the biggest spot in enemy territory and potentially be a world champion. But who wants to live in a world where Sean Strickland's a world champion, right? I mean... Sean O'Malley's a world champion, so the world's already upside down, Paul. We'll just see what happens here. It would be funny. It would be a really funny scene if Strickland won this belt. Um, you know, based on like his personal history, the his not even his character. Like I, I think he he hams it up, of course, a lot, but like he's he's a pretty twisted dude in general. Um, yeah, his his interviews and stuff are very, very off the cuff and it would. I don't know if like ESPN is ready for Sean Strickland showing up on like or like you know Good Morning America is not ready for Sean Strickland to show up spouting his uh, his takes. We'll just say that. Um, you you said it over the course of it, and I know Strickland has given up a lot of significant strikes in most of his five round fights, like against those other opponents. But I feel like in this main event. Less than 110 significant strikes for Israel Adesanya. Seems pretty decent. Like, he's only got over that number once. Um, Obviously, if Strickland just decides to strike at range, gets knocked out, we're not getting close to 110 significant strikes. If Strickland decides... There's a lot of ways, I feel like, for Adesanya to go under 110 significant strikes. So I'm adding that to my prize picks this week. All right, moving on to the co-main event. We've got Alexander Volkov taking on Ty Bam Bam Tuivasa. Uh, Volkov, a minus 250 favorite. Bam Bam can be had for plus 210. What are your thoughts, Code? So this is definitely your potential real apple pie shitter right off the get-go in your co-main event. The natural pick is obviously Alexander Volkov. He's tall. He's got the range. He plays the range game excellent. And of course, UFC pay-per-view, he's going to have the big cage to work with. I think that he's going to have superior volume, superior cardio. He's definitely got the wrestling advantage. He's got the grappling advantage. And that's one thing about Volkov that's maybe flies under the radar is that like he is capable of going out there and scoring takedowns if they present themselves. Taitui Vasa is the Shui King. He's the man. He's fan-friendly. He's a, a perennial guy that's eligible for a fight of the night or a KO of the night, and he's going to drink a shoe and he's going to get fired up. There's no doubt about it. They know who they want to win this fight. 
But the takedown defense isn't there. The cardio isn't there. The ring IQ isn't there. He's just quite simply a heavy-hitting slugger. But it's heavyweight. Sometimes that's all you need. The one thing with Volkov is he is tall. He's six foot seven, And as such, he does have a tall man defense. He's done an excellent job of putting some muscle on that frame since the loss to Curtis Blades to try to get to be as big and strong and physical as a heavyweight as he can. But at the same time, the chin's still there. And it's definitely something that is going to be worrisome. You look at his losses, you know, Aspinall submits him, but of course, beating him on the feet. Uh, his fight with Surreal gone. I guess that was just kind of staying at range, staying from the outside. I guess you couldn't really say since the Derek Lewis fight that he's been knocked out. And the Derek Lewis fight, he was painting a beautiful masterpiece until the last little bit. But I just get straight up vibes of that particular fight. Lewis does nothing other than be tough, stay in the pocket, take those shots. Ty's capable of doing that. I had written him off against Cyril Gaon. This guy's not going to come in. He's not going to win an interim world title. He's not going to be a top five guy. He's quite simply just that fan-friendly guy with an exciting style that's going to go out there and, and put on some crowd-pleasing bouts, but he's not legitimately going to win a world title. And he drops Cyril Gaon. It was a legitimate knockdown. Unfortunately, can't capitalize on it. You do get the senses here, if you're looking for an apple pie shitter, that maybe because Volkov's minus 250, and he's a heavyweight, and he stands upright, and he's going to have a Big old Samoan feeding off the massive energy from the live crowd with a shoey in hand, ready to go. He might just smack him over the head with that shoe right then and there and get this thing over with. So, yeah, it poses a lot of problems if you're looking to bet a guy at minus 250. If you're looking to parlay him at minus 250, he poses problems to your parlays because there's a lot of X factors here. They're big boys. They hit very hard. There's the live crowd. And again, Ty, for as limited as he may or may not be, He's had a pretty legitimate run here, man. His last fight, Sergey Pavlovich, who's probably going to win the next world title. Cyril God, who's a former world champion. Derek Lewis is a top guy. And I suppose then they were just giving him some weaker guys and he was smashing those weaker guys. I wouldn't say Volkov's a weaker, weaker guy by any stretch. The official pick, I think, has to be Volkov on the basis of superior striker, better volume, better grappling, better cardio. Uh, but man, it's heavyweight, Paul. So... I'm going to take Volkov. But again, as far as parlays go, I need to move him down because I think Ty Tuivasa could be that guy that comes out here and cashes as a big underdog, which is something he's done before. He cashed against Derek Lewis as a sizable enough underdog because he can bang. And if you stand in front of him, it's going to be a problem. Volkov's likely going to try to pick him apart. That's going to allow Ty Tuivasa at least some openings to land something. So again, I know it sounds like I'm talking around in circles. I'm just trying to acknowledge and see what is the potential threat to my bets this week. And the pick, again, it's, it is Volkov. I just don't like this line at all. Most heavyweight fights, I wouldn't like a minus 250 line. If it's a route, great. This is not that. So, you know, I'll proceed with caution. Yeah, dog or pass from a betting perspective, as far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned. And you were talking about, like, you know, Izzy's going to, or Israel Adesanya's going to be fighting in front of the home crowds. It's just like, Tai Tuivasa is from Western Sydney. Like, this is his, like, hometown, hometown. Like, this is and rugby where all of his friends there. that he grew yeah. up with are all going to be there. Israel's from, from Auckland, New Zealand. Like, there's going to be people, of course, traveling from New Zealand over. And I'm sure Israel Adesanya has a big fan base in Australia. It's obviously part of the same part of the world. But, like... I feel like the biggest pop, who's going to get the biggest pop at the weigh-ins, everything like that this week, it's going to be Tai Tuivasa. Um, mm. and, and he seems like the kind of guy that like may feed off of that crowd. I don't know. Um, I do on prize picks. Uh, my buddy BMR reached out in DMs, and I agree with the play. Uh, Volkov over 27.5 significant strikes. 
he's not exactly like a a one-hitter quitter type of guy. I mean, Romanov kind of just went in there and quit. Ty's not going to well, do no, that in front um, of his yeah. 27 and a half. Like, this is like, a, it's 50-50 to go to seven and a half minutes. I feel pretty comfortable that Volkov's going to get over 27 and a half if this gets into, yeah, past seven, seven and a half minutes into this fight. So, is it lock stock, like, easiest play ever? By no means, no. Um, but 27 and a half, I wouldn't be surprised to see this get extended a little bit. You know, Volkov is a little bit careful, fights out at range, doesn't want to slug and bang in, like, close proximity. Like, that's how you lose this fight to Tai Tuivasa is, like, let him come in and throw elbows and stuff. It's just like, no, you want him at the end of your, well, he's a six foot seven man. His reach is absurdly, absurdly long. He's going to have massive advantages there. He's going to have, like, the teep kicks up the front that kind of worry me because Ty doesn't take body shots all that well. Uh, Ty could totally keel over in it, but 27.5 significant strikes to the over. Um, I like that over on prize picks. But, uh, yeah, I think from a betting perspective, it's Ty or it's, it's Tui Vasa or pass. Maybe it's just, like, my heart's in it because I'm a shoey aficionado as well. I lose most of the shoeys uh, on this show, it seems, these days. So uh, I feel... My inner tie to Ivasa every single time I break down one of his fights, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to to actually pull the trigger with a real a real bet here. I see all of the points for why Volkov is the favorite, and he's on a hell of a run. Those last two wins for Volkov are not just any other wins. Like Romanov, well, Romanov was absolutely fraudulent in that fight came came back after that and, and looked a little bit better but the rosen strike performance was absolute domination um he was i believe a pretty decent sized underdog there and then the losses are against you know aspinall cyril gone curtis blades it's like he's losing to the best of the best top five guys in the world are the only people who are actually beating him these days so He's at the UFC PI. It seems like he, I watched the countdown show. And it's like, you kind of get like the Rocky versus like Drago type of vibes between the two of them. I like how that's kind of the narrative. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why that minus 250 isn't so crazy to be perfectly honest. Moving on to the next fight. We got Manel Cop taking on Felipe Dos Santos. Cop is a minus 370 favorite. Dos Santos can be had for plus 305. Who you got? Yeah, okay. So, again, there's always going to be some buyer beware everywhere. But, like, this is Cop's fight to lose, man. No, I think he's got him outgunned pretty much everywhere. But, again, in terms of where do you place him on the parlays, that's a little bit more interesting because I typically don't like flyweights right at the top. Simple reason, tons of volatility in flyweight fights. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of movement. You can watch a guy on tape, and the guy you see three months later, not the same guy. You know, heavyweights, middleweights, light heavyweights, those bigger guys, they're not super quick. They're not going to add a whole bunch of new tools to their game. And, of course, there's not a whole lot of sporadic action going on all the time. So flyweights just really is a tough division to get a hard read on. Um, And then the other thing is, is that he's taking on a Brazilian kid who hasn't fought in a year, and he's 22 years old. So rapid growth and random Brazilian kid who's all of a sudden showing up somewhere and you see it time after time UFC debut (coughs) you try to find some tape tape is limited what you do see you're not overly impressed guy shows up and he shows out 
So yeah, again, there's a little bit of like uncertainty because you don't really know a whole lot. But I think you're old Manel Cop all day long. First of all, Manel Cop probably a top ten flyweight, and he's going down there to fight Kaikar France, and this is a big fight. This is a meaningful fight. He's taking on the enemy fighter in enemy territory, and it's a big fight between two ranked guys that have been there and done that. And there's legitimate implications. Kaikar France pulls out, and it's like we need a guy last second. That last second is Felipe Dos Santos. Now again, he's only 22 years old, so he's super young, probably a little too green. You've seen on Contender Series the last few weeks that there's like these 21, 22-year-old kids, they fight, and Dana doesn't sign them. And, he sign, and he's like, ah, the guy's just a little young. Ah, he's still a little young. He's starting to see it now. Maybe a guy isn't equipped to come into the UFC quite yet. They got to go and get experience and rack up stuff. That's just not something Dos Santos quite, quite has done yet. What he does have is seven fights over the stretch of four years. He hasn't fought in a year, and he's still only 22 years old. Those wins, he fought for LFA one time, but again, it's kind of like limited competition. He won a split decision over Rafael Monturo. That's two fights back. It's a split decision over a five and two guy on the regional scene. So they booked him to fight Edgar Chárez on the contender series. And then they used Chárez right in the UFC. So the fight got scrapped. But they said, you know what? We'll rebook you on the contender series versus Luciano Pereira. That one gets canceled because Pereira misses weight. So then they said, you know what? Manel Cop needs a last minute replacement. Why don't you just come right into the UFC and fight him? So it's like, did he earn his way there? Or is he the warm body that's required to fill a slot? Because I'm a matchmaker. This happens to me all the time. I, I need to fill a slot. And this is the guy. Now we've had a couple contender series fights fall through. Whatever. Maybe the guy's a whiz. Maybe the guy's the next legitimate prospect. Maybe he's the next big thing. To me, it's just a hell of a stretch to come from the Brazilian regional scene at this age to jump into the UFC on a big enough pay-per-view with a real hot crowd taking on a legitimate top 10 contender on a three-fight winning streak. Come on, man. So do I like this price better than a 650 Asanya or a 250 Alexander Volkov? Like, yeah, I like this. Do I put him at the top? Well, it kind of goes against what I traditionally do. But how does Manel Cop lose this fight? He is the more explosive, quicker guy. He's got... I just he's got the better regiment of striking. He's got you know better arsenal, quick hands, good takedown defense. He got taken down twice by David Dvorak his last time out. Didn't look great there, but the guy is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt. His grappling is okay. He's got some decent hips, and I think that he's still progressing. He's still only 29 years old himself. He's going to make progressions. Now, when they brought him in from Japan as a Japanese champion and put him up against Alexander Pantoja and Matus Nicolau, kind of a tough go. But he didn't look, well, he looked bad, but they look bad too. Nobody's supremely outclassed this guy. It's that he doesn't do shit sometimes. He just stares at you and he loses the fight for himself. But the skills are there. And what you're seeing over the last three fights, three fight winning streak, not great competition, but he's coming into himself. He's got the explosive power. He's got the flying knee. He's got the big right hand. He's got those big movements, but he's also capable of tying it together and fighting 15 minutes. So I think he could either take out Dos Santos early or he could fight a smart game plan and win the fight. Both scenarios, he wins the fight. But it's MMA ball and flyweights and random Brazilians and a year-long layoff at 22 years old. So expected the expect the unexpected. But what I'm saying is cop should win this fight. So yes, cop, Manel cop. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I went watching tape on uh Felipe Dos Santos. I was watching, hoping to see any sort of like wrestling game. And the fight against uh 
Montoro. It's just like he was getting taken down very, very easily. He's young. He's green. I th- I saw some like potential in him if he can really work on like the grappling chops. Seems mostly to be like Brazilian uh, Brazilian Muay Thai. I think he trains with Charles Oliveira. Um, but he's he's got to pick up. He's got to work on like his actual grappling game. And and when I look at this matchup, it's like all right. Well, we have Minel Cop who <clears throat> you know fighting like close decisions. You know, less than two years ago against Pantoja, who's now the champion of the division. You said it at the beginning. Is he a warm body or is he a legitimate prospect? Maybe when he's 26 years old and he's like in his prime and he's added a whole bunch of skills. I see potential for a lot of improvement from Felipe Dos Santos, but this is way too much, way too soon. Uh, Cop, minus 370, you know I don't like it, but pretty, pretty clear pick for me. Cop may even be able to wrestle and, and secure rounds that way if he decided to. Um, the only concern would be that he just doesn't throw enough, turns, makes his fight way too close for comfort, and then we get like, uh, you know, an Edwards cornhole type of situation. And then Cody would be like, well, it was, it was just a greasy fight. It wasn't a robbery by any stretch of the imagination, despite the, back, the fact that one person was like minus 1,200 live. Um, but, you know. Don't end up in that type of situation. I think Cop Cop covers his price. Uh, I just think it's too much too soon for Felipe Dos Santos. Moving on down, we got uh, Justin Taffa taking on Austin Lane. Taffa minus two hundred favorite. Lane can be had for plus one seventy. Austin Lane is truly dreadful. We haven't really seen much to like be excited about in any of his UFC fights. Um, but heavyweight volatility is a you-know-what, Cody. and minus, like, Taffa isn't exactly a high-level guy by any, any stretch of the imagination, but hometown crowd, amped up. I think, I think Julian Lane, like, obviously former football player, he's got a big body, but, like, I don't know, man. I, he's kind of the the bottom of the barrel obviously their previous fight was a unintentional eye poke super early 30 seconds into the fight incredibly bad eye poke we didn't really get to see what was going to happen in that fight but yeah I mean Lane just never really did it for me minus 200 is pretty wide for a guy like Taffa but you know, at least uh, at least we saw his brother show out, what, two weeks ago. I'm sure they were working together, uh, getting ready mm, f- for this as well. I think Austin Lane is one of the worst guys in the heavyweight division, so I think it's got to be Taffa. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to disagree with this one. So oh. at least earlier, yeah, I'll take the underdog. We talked about earlier, and I didn't have the cojones to take Ty Tuivasa straight up because even though you're recognizing it's a heavyweight fight and the odds are off on here, yeah, you just Volkov's a lot more polished. Nobody is polished in this matchup, and this should be a 50-50 fight down the middle. I don't like anything about Justin Taffa. I've never liked anything about Justin Taffa, and there's no reasonable way to suggest you would pay this kind of price for Justin Taffa. Yeah, his brother Junior Taffa is a decent kickboxer, and his brother Junior Taffa is coming off a nice little win in the UFC. Just not seeing it with... Uh, with Justin at all. Now keep in mind, he comes to the UFC, he's a big favorite on a UFC pay-per-view down under, and he gets smoked by Jorgen De Castro when he walks face first into a punch. No defense, just walks face first into a punch. The wins have been super low level, man. He got matched up with Juan Adams, who's no longer in the promotion, and also got his ass kicked by uh, Austin Lane. 
Carlos Felipe, no longer with the organization. Jared Vandra, no longer with the organization. And he just lost on the regional scene by devastating KO. Harry Hunsucker could be the possibly the worst guy that's ever fought in the division. Parker Porter, I, I have a soft spot for Parker Porter, but he's not any good. That's the level he fights at. And he's 50-50 in those fights, whether he wins them or not. Not good. Not good. Beyond that, the wins, Parker Porter, first round. Harry Hunsucker, first round. He likes to get it done early. Against Vander and Carlos Felipe, Like his cardio is not any good. His grappling's not any good. He's not even particularly that big of a heavyweight. And ironically enough, he's like the only heavyweight in UFC. Maybe Chris Barnett became the second one, so there could be two. But he missed weight for a heavyweight fight. Came in at 267 pounds. Couldn't cut the one pound. He's a heavyweight. Only six feet tall. But it's just like he's a big, heavy guy. Probably lacks discipline, I would say. Fights the absolute bottom of the barrel. And generally needs those fights to end in the very first round. So even though I just have no opinion of him. Yeah, I picked him over Austin Lane the first time, right? Now that one's interesting because... That was on UFC ABC 5, and it was in Jacksonville. And Austin Lane is from Jacksonville, so it was his hometown fight. Probably one of the reasons the UFC signed him to begin with, but he's going from getting the hometown fight quick eye poke to this one. So what can you even take away from that fight? It lasted 29 seconds. It lasted 29 seconds, but Lane looked comfortable. He looked like he had a speed advantage. He was moving well, and Toffa just sits there super plodding-like. If the fight would have continued, would have Toffa clipped him? Yeah, maybe. They're big old heavyweights, but he didn't look comfortable at no point. I had Toffa. I got a no contest and take it from me. I was happy. I saw 29 seconds of the fight. There was an eye poke and I was like, cool, give me my money back. I'm cool with this no contest. I don't want to see how this one played out. So I honestly felt like Austin Lane was the better guy. Now all your points you're making about Austin Lane is not any good. Yeah, valid, valid. So let's make an excuse for him because I love making excuses. Let's make an excuse for him. This guy's 35 years old right now making his essentially his second fight in the UFC. It's basically his debut. He's 35. 35 at heavyweight is really young. He's just a baby still. Most of the high-end guys in the division are that age. So I'm not writing him off just because he's a little bit older. People will call me an ageist. If you're a 35-year-old flyweight, you're done. You're abandonweight at 35. It's over, pal. No, no, no. At heavyweight, he's just getting going. But here's a guy that comes from a supremely athletic background. He's a former fifth-round draft pick into the NFL. He played for a couple teams. You look at his combine stuff. He's Six foot five and three quarters. UFC tells you he's six foot six. Combine tells you he's six five and three quarters. 276 pounds at the combine. Okay. Uh 151 in the 10 yard split, a 458 in the 40 yard dash. Like he's projected to go third round, ends up slipping to the fifth round, plays for Jacksonville, plays for Kansas City, plays for Detroit, plays for Chicago, retires in 2015. Starts his MMA career as a pro, right? Two years later, he's already 29 years old when he made his pro debut because his whole career is football. So, yeah, listen, he's not that good when he starts out. In fact, he's pretty bad when he starts out. But he just keeps getting better. He keeps making improvements. And you see that. They throw him on the contender series versus Hardy, Greg Hardy because it's just two football players. And Greg happens to be better. He knocks out Austin Lane. Austin Lane loses his very next fight. He gets a 5-5 five and five Frank Tate. No good. He lost to Vernon Lewis, 7-4 and four by ground and pound. At some point, this guy who's now been doing MMA for three years and is a physical specimen of a man six foot six very athletic probably a quick learner is now figuring it out and now you're seeing it man he knocks out Juan Adams that fight goes into the fourth round his cardio looked good he knocks out a couple other jimbronis that shouldn't be in there gets on the contender series blast Ricardo uh, Richard Jacoby in the first round gets the fight with Tafa chomping at the bit very apologetic wants to fight 
that was a nasty eye poke though. So fight had to get canceled, but there's, there's redeeming qualities about him. And there, there are, he is on a six fight winning streak and it feels to me like he's turned the corner. So I've got two on paper shit heavyweights. And one of them's a far better athlete who's faster. He has enough power to end it in the first round. He's got better cardio in case the fight goes past the first round versus Justin Toppo, who again, I know is not that good. Yeah. He's at home. Yeah, he's got some KO power. He's 267 pounds. Of course, he's got KO power. But he's not that good, and he fights shitty guys. So why why would I pay a minus 210 price tag on him? It's just it's not happening. If you're looking for a shit in the apple pie, if you're looking for a shit on the veggie money, if you're looking for whatever it is, someone's going to ruin your night. Betting minus 210 on top of seems just like that. I mean, I don't, I don't so. bet minus 200 on any heavyweight, really. <laughs> I don't even want to do it. For I'm not betting. I'm not betting. I'm not this betting guy. Austin Lane, bro. You are selling then off. Pass. Like then you pass. sound. Then well, you can't pass. pass on this show. We just we we make picks on every on every dog or pass. And I mean, I pick Austin Lane. That's the pick. I mean, we make. There's there becomes a blurred line sometimes on this show of like, are we making like picks or are you saying which side has the value? So like, I don't, you know. Israel Adesanya, we both picked him. Is there any value at minus 650? Probably not. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, what I'm saying is we both picked Adesanya at 650. There's no value on it, but that's who we think is going to win. There's no value. And so how do you play this? But you do, right? Volkov, geez, man, value's on Tuivasa. And I'm tempted to pick Tai Tuivasa. But like you said, this isn't a value show. This is a pick show. So I can recognize the value on Tuivasa. Very tempting, and I like it. But this is a pick show, not a value show. So I pick Alexander Volkov. This is a fight where I think Austin Lane can win this fight 50% of the time. And he happens to have the, the value. So if I said I got a nickel right here, heads or tails, it's 50-50. But if it lands on heads, you get plus 170. If it lands on tails, you make 46 bucks, 44 bucks. Well, you, you would take heads because you're getting value and you think it has an equal chance of coming in. I think Austin Lane can win this fight. That is the pick. The plus okay. 170, great. That just makes it like even more intriguing. Is it the PRP pick? I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of other underdogs. I'll admit, a lot of them are steamed up, and I agree with them. They're picks. I can understand value. I can understand that. But I got the favorite winning a lot of these fights. This is not one of them. This is an underdog. I think he can come through. Underdogs are going to come through. You got to pick and choose your spots. Were you were you on Volkov or Tai Tuivasa? You already all I got picked Tai. I picked Tai. Yeah, I don't I don't got an underdog to this point. This is a shitty heavyweight fight, right? Mm -hmm. Yours is a world class heavyweight fight. They're both heavyweight fights though, and we're chasing maybe we're chasing a little bit of value, but you also think that the guy's got a legitimate chance of winning. Your words, not mine. This is a 50-50 okay. fight. We should make this a shoey yeah. bet. I'll take Tafa. You take uh, Austin Lane. I should get like a two to one because it's two to one. But, but I, I thought it. it was no, 50 I will take it. I will take it. But I will take it. I will. I will take. See, I set it. you I up. I set you up for that one. Yeah. I set you. I mean, got, I've been losing so wanted. many shoey bets here. I can't afford to be coming in here. I got to drive producer Megan home. Actually, next week we'll we'll talk after the show. We got to like record like maybe like an hour earlier or something. Heading okay. back, heading back home for a wedding. But uh, yeah, that's besides the point. Uh yeah, so yeah, I'll be. Uh, I, I shouldn't be drinking two shoeys that, that that night. I'll tell you that much. Um, moving one, on down. One shoeys, fuck. One one because there's enough time from like the beginning of the episode to like me exporting it. So it's like I guarantee my blood alcohol content is zero. 
at that point uh, by the time I actually go. But yeah, before I like, you know, incriminate myself in some way, shape, or form, let's move on to the next fight. We've got Anton Turkali taking on Tyson Pedro. Depending on the book that you go to, you'll find one guy is a slight favorite or one guy is the as a slight under like it it's kind of depending on the book right now it's pretty much a pick them across the board you can may you may be able to find like a plus 103 on whoever at one book but it's pretty much a straight pick them across the across the board so that's how i lined it for the purposes of this show who you got code yeah, well, to be honest, Anton Turkali, Turkaj, he, he was supposed to be, Pleasure Man was supposed to be dog number two on the card. But now, now he's like taking slight favorite status. So, of course, we're recording on a Wednesday. Lines are subject to change. And this is one that's kind of flipping the other direction. Now, again, hometown guy, why would you not want Tyson Pedro? Because Tyson Pedro falls into the category, similar to his compatriot, Justin Toffa. He's a 50-50 guy, man. His cardio is not good. He fights the absolute bottom of the barrel yeah and he he beats the bottom of the barrel but like every time they've tried to step him up at all it just really hasn't gone good now he has been in the ufc for quite some time and when you look at the initial two fights a win over clill roundtree by rear naked choke and uh a knockout of paul craig damn those aged good those aged real good clill roundtree still fighting seven years later in the ufc doing the damn thing and winning winning meaningful fights and paul craig is like Title challenger, not title challenger, but he's like, you know what I mean? He's a top 10 gatekeeper-ish, capable of beating all the best guys on, on the right moment. Like, those are nice wins. And then I don't know what happened to him. I think he was a bit of a one-trick pony. He looked apart. He was undefeated. He was a good-looking kid. And then just look at these lines, man. He lost to Ilya Latifi. He was the favorite. Then they give him Merback Safarov. He's a minus 300 favorite over potentially one of the worst guys you've seen in the UFC in recent memory. Against Alvin St. Pru, he's the favorite, and he loses. Against Shogun, who he's a minus 565 favorite, and he loses. They gave him Ike Villanueva. That's a four-year-long layoff, three-and-a-half-year-long layoff between the loss to Shogun as a 565 to Ike. So they bring him back soft, right? Him and Ike, he's a minus 630 favorite, but he wins. Him versus Harry Hunsucker, he's a minus 800 favorite, but he wins. And then him against Bukaukas, he's a minus 230 favorite, and he loses again. And he looked okay in the first round, but that's it. Like, after that first round, he's done, which makes sense why he looked good against Villanueva and Harry Hunsucker, because they're three-minute guys. They can't make it out of the first round. He beats those guys. He always has beaten those guys. Guys that can, like, take that first round and stretch him out a little bit, give him a little bit of adversity. Like, I'm not going to – I'm not saying he's a quitter. I'm just saying I think his body is more of a one-round guy. He's, he can't go later. Doesn't want to go later. Doesn't respond later. His takedown defense – or, sorry, his takedown offense, his wrestling in general, really, is not that good. He's from a part of the world that doesn't have a super advanced wrestling program, and he's done nothing to go anywhere to improve that. Now, he's worked on his striking, but again, he doesn't like to get hit, so he's not looking to exchange. He doesn't have the cardio to push the pace and fight a hot volume striking uh, game plan. He doesn't have that natural one-punch power to just end the fight quickly. He relies on his opponents being terrible, and then he can finish the fight quickly. So against Anton, Anton's not great. And if you consider him in the category of bottom of the barrel, yeah, then yeah, this is a winnable fight for Tyson Pedro, sure. But again, he has some redeeming qualities. He's 27 years old. He's not that old. He's sure to be making some improvements. But his last time out against uh, Vitor Petrino, Vitor Petrino is a hard-hitting son of a bitch. He's tough. He's a killer. He puts it on him in times. Chirkaj's cardio checked out. His wrestling checked out. His heart checked out. 
His durability checked out. He got smoked by Jelton Almeida, and nobody is holding that against him. The guy has kind of got that quirky willingness to engage and willingness to fight, and that in itself would make him a live underdog, but he's not the underdog anymore, apparently. But all the great qualities, he can win this fight on the pure fact that he wants to win it more. Now, Tyson, talented one-round guy. Probably wins that first round against Turcotte. Maybe he ends up on top of him. Maybe he just lands the better strikes. Anton's not a very good striker. He's a Swedish wrestler. He wants to get in the clinch. He wants to make him work. He wants to push a bit of a pace. And he wants to end up on top. And then the second and the third rounds, those both all those scenarios, they increase in likelihood that he does get the fight to the ground, that Tyson does fatigue, that he is able to peel him to the ground. But now if he loses the first, wins the third, and has a close second round, he's maybe getting prone to getting screwed on the scorecards. But that extra little plus money that you could have gotten him on a few days ago, that made it worth the while. He's still the pick. I'm not chasing any value here. He's the pick. But best suited to probably just now bet him after the first round when you might be able to get that plus money back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I generally agree across the board there. Never been too impressed with Tyson Pedro. Pedro is training at uh, at City for this camp uh he's been on like the embeddeds and stuff and talking about how eugene bearman has made him think differently about mma maybe that's like kind of the change he needed um in his training he did you know he had a bunch of fights in the ufc and then just kind of retired almost quietly like never like officially retired but just kind of disappeared right um after the yeah, from the Shogun fight in 2018, and then four years later, he's showing up uh, to take on... I mean, they gave him absolute cu- cupcake matchups against Ike Villanueva and Harry Hunsucker, the bottom of the barrel. Um, and that, if you go back to that Shogun fight, getting t- taken down three times by Shogun, losing, even at that point in Shogun's career, like he was pretty long in the tooth, wasn't looking great. Um, that was not exactly a very good look. Uh, am I going to buy into the fact that Eugene Behrman in one camp is going to change everything that we saw from Pedro, a guy who went out against Modestus Bukakis, kind of looked a bit lost, wasn't able to secure takedowns and control the fight. Um, was it relatively close by the numbers? Yeah, but who was landing the much better strikes on the feet? It was Modestus, particularly down the stretch. It all kind of adds up. Um, if this goes deep into the fight, yeah, like kind of, kind of. I mean, it's interesting with Turkali. It's like on the regional scene before he showed up, this guy was just, you know, it's highlight reel knockouts and all of that. And it's just like his actual game is just like take down, hold position, um, rinse and repeat. Uh, 2.5 takedown seems a little bit high for him, but I don't mind it. Um, I think that is probably his best stra- best strategy in this fight is to secure takedowns. Uh, so, yeah, Tricali is the pick for me as well. I've never really been a Tyson Pager guy either. Moving on down, we got Carlos Alberg taking on Da Woon Jung. Minus 250 for Carlos, or Carlos Alberg. Da Woon Jung can be had for plus 210. Cody, my biggest question about this fight is like, when did we start calling this guy Da Woon Jung? You know, I'm thinking that too. Yeah, no he's one been, sent me the memo. He's been in the UFC since. Let's see. Since 2019, he's at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fights where we've been calling him Da Ong Jung, 
D-U-N uh, instead of Woon. And now I go on to like the UFC's website. Tapology still has him as Daong Jung. But it's just like, is this, did he change his name? And I'm just like culturally like out of touch. And I don't really understand. Is this like a Joanne Wood, Joanne Calderwood type of situation? Did he get married and like maybe take his, uh, you know, his significant other's name? I don't know. Is it even the same guy? I'm not entirely sure at this day and age. But uh, I've liked what I've seen from Carlos Olberg in terms of the improvements that he's made. Uh, the Kennedy and, Z- Z- and Zetchkru fight, he really came out of the gate way too hard. We saw a lot of talent there, but he, he set a pace that obviously he couldn't keep. Now the guys, you know, mine his P's and Q's a little bit more, but we've seen that's like the guy's just a good athlete. He's been working on his grappling as well. Um, and, and you kind of showcased that last time out. I don't love two minus two fifties typically, but like Olberg's showing us that like, you know, that Kennedy, we could look back on the Kennedy fight as being like an absolute, like what happened there. I can't, I can't believe that he beat him. Um, cause all we're seeing is crazy improvement fight to fight from Carlos Olberg ever since then um yeah being a little bit more tactical um and obviously the fights are ending pretty quickly but in those moments during the fights we're seeing it's like he's 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 picking his shots a little bit more it was just like spam a whole it was like us playing like a video game um in that kennedy fight he thought he was and he probably was able to just get rid of everybody on the regional scene or in like sparring sessions and stuff like that by doing that learned his lesson and since then, it's been, uh, you know, a lot of improvement. So, uh, yeah, I think Olberg, you know, Olberg is the guy who's trending in the in uh, trending up, and Dong Jung has been always a wild card. It's like guy looked great, and then like the Sam Alvey fight, absolutely just lays an egg. Like just doesn't show up, doesn't throw his hands enough. Seems kind of lost out there against an aging Sam Alvey. The last two fights, obviously, uh, getting exposed as well. So I think Car- Carlos is a rightful favorite here. What about you? Yeah, listen, all that's true. He probably beats Da Ung Jung, but does he beat Da Woon Jung? Uh, that's a million dollar question here, Paul exactly. I know. So yeah, I don't know. What are you? What, what what's there to be expected? I'm I'm gonna agree though. Da Ung Jung back in the day actually had some problems when he first came over. He's six foot four the 78 inch reach and he's just a naturally a big body doesn't fight like a big man doesn't fight like a, a long rangey striker he prefers to get in your face and brawl it out with you and yeah maybe that's to his detriment i don't think his cardio is all that good his durability i thought was pretty solid but uh didn't really look too solid two fights back when he absolutely just got demolished out of there by dustin jacoby and that's kind of how i see this one going he does have some power he does like to stand in the pocket and 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 sometimes you know, that that elbow over Kenny and Jakku, for example, right? Quick little knockout over a guy that went on to do some okay things. It's a credible victory. And I think at that point, it was like, this guy's got some legitimate promise once he puts everything else together. It's that since then, he's only competed twice and both results, no good. I mean, he got smoked right away by Justin Jacoby, uh, less than two minutes into the fight, drop. 
Maybe his durability is a little bit in question after that. But again, to me, it's that Justin Jacoby is a more precise striker. He's got credible kickboxing background. You can try to get in there and you can try to brawl with them, but these guys are going to see it coming. Other guys didn't see it coming. Kenny's super long and gangly, doesn't know how to fight at the time, doesn't know how to fight to use his own length at the time. You can beat those guys. But as you pointed out, the Sam Alvey fight is a great example. After the first round, he fades and he fades hard. And now all the fight is is a brawl in the pocket. And he's losing to Sam Alvey, ends up squeaking out. He won the fight, but like, you know, a greasy enough decision against a guy who's a massive favorite over. So in the back of my mind, that's still there. And then in his last fight against Devin Clark, he gives up three takedowns. He lands nothing, no ability to get back up, no real ground game, no, you know, athletic hips, no ability to create space. And so all of that is troublesome. Now is Carlos Alber going to take him down and utilize any of those things? No, no, not at all. But what you do have is just the more polished, more refined, better, faster kickboxer that's probably going to intercept him, pick and choose his spots, and land. Now, since the Kennedy fight, you're right. It's like, oh, well, what does he really learn? The very first fight after he fought Fabio Charan, super hesitant, you know, mm-hmm. waited it out and 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 fought him for 15 minutes, right? Full three rounds against a low-level guy. But I think that was the confidence booster he needed to be like, I can fight 15 if I fight it smart. Now I'm going to fight smart and let my hands go a little bit. And you're seeing quick first round knockouts, low level guys, you know, Eeyore Pateria, you know, maybe just some lower level guys that he was supposed to go out there and knock out. But the win over Tafan Injikui, who I'm not a big fan of, Tafan is pretty solid, man. Like he can take a punch. And Nikolai Nigamarianu, the guy is literally nothing other than tough. But tough is not enough. When you got big power and you're a clean, devastating striker, which Olberg is. So, yeah, part of me also does think, oh, he's 33 years old and he doesn't have much grappling and he, he seems to be, be finishing guys in the first round. Like, what if a guy extended him? Could we get more shades of Kennedy? But I don't think Da Ung Jung, or for that matter, Don Woon Jung, is the guy to extend him out cardio-wise because he himself doesn't have great cardio. In terms of takedowns, he's landed one takedown in the UFC on like, I don't know, three or four attempts. So not a wrestler, durability is in question, doesn't fight good at range. N- none of this stuff is looking good for him. Does he have a puncher's chance? Of course he's got a puncher's chance. But Olberg doesn't really seem to be a chinny opponent. So he would he would need to curl over and die, which, although possible, I think full camp, multiple fights in the UFC now. Izzy, the champion, is on the card. All your teammates, basically, are on the card. I, I think this is the time to show up in shape, show up motivated, feed off the crowd. Fight an excellent game plan and win. So yeah, Carlos Olberg gets the job. I would think by knockout, but you know, just to be safe, Olberg just the straight up pick. Yeah, uh, significant strikes fifty point five under. I mean that Nikki uh, Nagumaranu fight is kind was kind of like the the eye opener for me in the fact that like I always considered Nikki to be super 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 durable, and he just he can take a bunch. He iced him, bro. Um, I, I think he may just knock out Dawoon Jung if he's the same guy as Dawoon Jung. Stand by for clarification. I'm going to be looking real closely at those weigh-ins to make sure it's just not a different guy. Um, but, yeah, I feel like – I think I don't think it's going to be like Charant. I think he's going to – and he's going to knock him out in the first round, to be perfectly honest. Which, I mean, when I look at it, like, a lot of the props, they're not too juicy. Like, I would probably rather take, you know, uh, Olberg by knockout is minus 140. Um, under 
under one and a half can be had for like minus 110. That's probably where my money will go on this one, to be perfectly honest. Like, this isn't Sam Alvey. Carlos Alberg. If if you're ta- if you're taking fifty five significant strikes like you did against Sam Alvey against Alberg, Alberg's gonna put you out on a stretcher. Um, from what we've seen, particularly in his last few fights. So not a not a Dawoon Jung believer anymore. Moving on down. We got Jack Jenkins taking on Chepe Mariscal. Jenkins is a minus 220 favorite. Mariscal can be had for plus 180. Mariscal coming off of a win over your boy, Trevor Peak. Um, kind of hate to say I told you so, but he was, uh, you know, in that fight, he was like very, you know, it was just kind of skill for skill. The amount of experience that he had, he was able to utilize it obviously he showed that his durability was on point the only time like he had been like knocked out on the regional scene um was against steve garcia and that like if you went back and watched that fight was a horrendous horrendous stoppage so chepe is chepe is tough he's a well-rounded guy 14 6 record isn't exactly pretty but uh, the guys fought some real real quality opponents over the course of his career. Jack Jenkins on the other side. I don't think he won his last fight, but in fairness to him, his last fight was a considerably... Jamal Emmer's fight, yeah. I mean, the numbers would suggest it was a lot closer than that. I thought when it was going to decision, Jamal Emmer's was going to pull pull away on that, but uh, really, really close, close competitive fight. I don't, this one, this fight doesn't really make all that much sense to me, Cody. Like... I thought Jack Jenkins would kind of move forward and take on maybe a little bit of a bigger opponent. Jeppe coming off of a win over peak, like, I don't know. It just seems weird that they're just, like, filling the card with this one. Uh, Jenkins will be the pick. I I imagine lean on the wrestling a little bit, wear him down, make it a little bit uh, ugly. Don't turn it into a a slobber knocker. Uh, Jenkins is the pick. What about you? Yeah, I don't know. I got got Jack Jenkins. But I just don't know how this thing plays out. I know what you're saying in the terms of like you expect Jack Jenkins to take a step forward and maybe this isn't the opponent you're thinking that I like it. I, I really like the opponent. And I think if you have a book that offers what is going to be fight of the night, I think low key, this thing's got oh, potential got fight of the night that, written though, all bro. over it. The problem, I got the problem over that is Dana chooses, Dana chooses these things. And like, I think the day that it was Chepe versus Trevor Peak, which frankly yeah, they got was screwed. the fight of the night. Emmett survived to the fifth round, but like by no means was that even like competitive. You know, it was Topuria deserved a performance of the night bonus, but that was when Dana was trying to get Zuckerberg and uh, and Elon Musk to like do their fight in the UFC. He wasn't even in the building. I don't know how like fight of the night was decided, but I kind of threw the idea of like betting those markets out the window because. Half of the time, Dana's not even watching the prelims anymore. Don't kid yourself. Um, yeah, that's that's fair. But at the same time, my only argument there is Trevor Peak, who took a lot of damage, but he's 27 years old. You know, Mariscal a little bit older. UFC debut. Josh Emmett's life has forever been altered, and he's like 35 or 36. He might be older than that. Uh, give him the 50 grand, bro. Like, give him the 50 grand. I seen Trevor like month or two after that fight he was fine he's fine face is fine personality fine 
Same guy. Josh Emmett? Nah, man. It's tough being a fighter. Anyways, bottom line here is that for Jack Jenkins, his first two fights, or at least everything on, on the regional scene is dynamite. He's very exciting. His first two fights, won a contender series, the debut against Don Shanus. I thought they were pretty entertaining fights. With Emmers, you saw his physical limitations. Now, yeah, listen, I had him bet, and I was happy he won, but it's similar to a Jocelyn Edwards-type situation. I, I kind of thought he won that fight, and the internet was largely in disagreement. They all thought Emmers won. The first two rounds are close. To me, I just thought Jenkins landed the better shots. The third round, Emmers takes him down and kicks his ass. So definitely a third round, Emmers. Probably a first round, Jenkins. How do you score the second? Clearly, the internet thought Emmers. I thought Jenkins. When you look at the numbers, Jenkins landed the more strikes. So they're close fights. They're subjective fights. But to me, his takedown defense is not that good. His ability to get up is not that good. And when I say not that good, it, it's relative because Jamal Emmers is a good opponent, right? He has good wrestling. He has solid top game. BJJ black belt level grappling. The guy's a good opponent. So he's getting a lot of class relief here taking on Chepe Mariscal. Now, Paul Shaughnessy and I, we went to college together, right? And Paul, one of his like little secret hidden talent things is that he's like unbelievably good at punch out the video game. Now, I, I could beat Glass Joe. I could beat Von Kaiser. Uh, maybe, maybe Piston Honda at best but Paul would just wipe through these guys because he was actually good I could just beat the guys that left a ton of openings Trevor Peak is my boy he's the man but there's not a whole lot of technique there there's not tight punches there's not real combinations he's coming forward to you brute aggression absolute ferocity trying to break you down but there's there's not really any setups there there's no real footwork there's no head movement he's super raw figuring it out on the fly or is like Jack Jenkins is legitimately good. He has wrestling. He can grapple. His jiu-jitsu is slick, just not Emers' level slick. His striking solid. Nasty leg kicks. Good boxing. He's a good fighter. Mariscal got hit a lot against Trevor Peak. His chin held, held up against wild hammer fists coming from the top or a Bazooka Joe nuke from the far left hip side. Like, yeah, the guy can take a punch. I think he's durable. His cardio rock solid because he's from Colorado. Uh, he's at altitude. He's a training partner of Justin Gaethje. So you don't think he's used to having a guy come forward, swing, swing big old Bombinos on him? Yeah, he's used to it. He's ready for that. Jenkins poses different problems. His cardio, I don't think, is a big issue. Uh, he's good. He's just a better, more precise striker. He has the wrestling in his back pocket. He's got things he could utilize. Mariscal, a couple times, Trevor would hit him and he didn't like it. And he just took Trevor and dumped him to the ground mm -hmm. like nothing. Trevor's takedown defense isn't quite there yet. He's a work in progress. That don't happen against Jenkins. Now you're forced to stand with him and eat more leg kicks and eat more right hands. So yeah, I think Jenkins pulls away in this fight. Great fight. Fun fight. I think he gets fight of the night. But I think Jack Jenkins is just a little more superior. Now, what happens a lot is Trevor's a fan favorite. I love the guy, right? And so Mariscal beats him in what should have been fight of the night. Was a really fun, exciting fight. Naturally, Mariscal, Chepe, He's a fan favorite now. So there's going to be people that are looking to back him because he had that gritty performance, because he had that gutsy performance. I think his stock's a little too high considering it was a fun fight, not a very technical fight from him. He didn't show us a whole lot. He just showed us he's a tough sum of bitch that went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Trevor Peak and was more precise, was more technical. Okay, fair, fair. But can you do that at the next level? Is Jenkins even the next level? I think comparatively, yes. And so Jenkins wins. Now, Jenkins by decision. You know, he went to decision with Don Shanus. He relied on his wrestling a little bit there. He does kick like a mule. He could maybe pick something up, but Chepe's got a heart of gold. 
He's looking to go down on his hammer. Like you said, Steve Garcia, early stoppage. Steve Garcia also super unheralded power, man. Like people don't talk enough about, he's not that good, but boy, oh boy, that guy hits hard. So like, I think Chepe lasts to the 15 minutes. And if you're uncertain about this one, I think if Chepe wins, he couldn't put Trevor Peak away and Trevor Peak had his hands on his hips staring at him, trying to lean on the cage. So I I think regardless, this fight's going to decision. But if you want to be a little more bolder with it, you would go Jenkins. If you wanted to go really bold with it, you would go Jenkins by decision. And then uh, hopefully just improve your price tag a little bit. Yeah, Jenkins by decision plus 160. I like that, actually. That's uh, the best that I see on the market right now. Um, Yeah, I'm in in favor of of that. That seems like the play. Plus, we're in in, uh, Australia. Even if these rounds are like close, contentious, He's got to throw a little shrimp on the babby. And uh, Jenkins, with his mullet and all of his Aussie mm-hmm. greatness, should probably get anything that's a little bit close. May get a little. Might, might cornhole poor Cheppy uh, over in the land down under. Moving on down, we've got Jamie Malarkey taking on John the Bull McDessie. Minus 280 for Malarkey, plus 240. For John the Bull, Malarkey, I mean, last time out against Naimov, he was, everything was looking pretty, pretty good for Malarkey, and then just ate a big shot, night-night, you're done. But uh, he's leaning on the wrestling, he had like three takedowns there, he was controlling the fight pretty much from like the opening bell, but you know, that's MMA, it's, uh, it's a cruel, it's a cruel, cruel sport. Can't let your guard up for one second when you're taking on some of the uh, you know most dangerous people on the planet with uh, with their hands and fists. Uh, minus 280 kind of scares me, but it's like when I think of McDessie, particularly McDessie at this point in his career, former, you know, a former featherweight. He's a little bit small in the division. Um, uh, and he hasn't knocked out, what? He hasn't really knocked out anybody since... Like the biggest question mark that I would have with Malarkey is maybe his durability at this point, but it's kind of a perfect little matchup for Malarkey in the sense that we're going back all the way to Shane Campbell in 2015 was the last time John McDessie knocked anybody out. Um, I think Malarkey, if he's smart here, this fight could be very, very close if it just ends up being a kickboxing match. But takedowns on prize picks. 1.5 takedowns for Malarkey. He's cleared that number many, many times um, pretty comfortably. I think Malarkey's job here is use his bigger frame, forces up against the cage. Don't just kind of have a tick-for-tack kickboxing match with McDessie because you can lose that fight. But uh, mm-hmm. secure some takedowns. 1.5 seems very, very clearable. Uh, malarkey, malarkey by decision. What does that pay? That would be my angle in this fight. Malarkey by decision. It's, I mean, it's much better than the plus one fifteen is the best on market right now. That's how I see this fight going. What about you, buddy? Yeah, yeah. So we talked about a lot of fights on this card. That's like you have a pick, but you can understand value side and the other side. I don't love picking Jamie Malarkey. At this kind of price tag, he's uh, he's kind of looked suspect over his last number of fights, Paul. You go back to, while the Jalen Turner fight, he gets smoked out of there, knocked out. Is that a chin problem? No, Jalen Turner is a beast, but it's a bad knockout. The Michael Johnson fight, he's supposed to smoke Michael Johnson because 
Johnson can't really wrestle and he can't really grapple. And Johnson also drops him, doesn't put him away. It's a crazy fight. It's a close fight. Malarkey edges it out. But that's back-to-back fights. He took a hell of a shot, man. And then in his last fight against uh, Namov, Namov took the fight in like three days' notice. He comes up from 145 pounds to 155 pounds and just nukes Malarkey immediately. So, man, this guy's got problems. He doesn't move his head. He's got a suspect chin. He always plods forward and tries to get a hold of you. But similar to these guys that rely on that grind, 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 they're allowing a lot of openings and good counter punchers are going to hit them. And once that durability leaves, you're getting knocked out smooth. That's the downwards trajectory. So to now be fed him at large favorite status, yeah, I'm not like super pumped up about it. But it is not enough for me to go on the other side with John McDessie. You made an excellent, th- you made, I'm gl- actually glad you brought it up. You said John McDessie, your words, John McDessie, a former featherweight, not a former featherweight, never fought at 145 pounds, not once in his entire career. But I'm glad you said it because everyone's always thought the same thing. Why isn't this guy at 145 pounds? Never did. But remember when the Donald Cerrone fight, Cerrone head kicks him, breaks his jaw. He looks at the ref and calls a timeout, which you've never seen in MMA. Mike Chandler tried to do it one time against Will Brooks in a Bellator fight. Like that shit don't fly. So fight gets called off. He's devastated. And then afterwards, there was the idea of, I can't fight at 55. I need to get down to 145. But he never did. He actually took a fight with Yancey Medeiros, a very large lightweight, in his very next fight, and then lost that one too. The next while after that has just been injury after injury after injury. He thought his head coach, longtime head coach Faraz Zahabi, had disrespected him. He got injured in a gym training session with Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall picked him up, slammed him, like hurt him. And then he said, oh, they're taking Mickey Gall's side. So he left and he went to Rufus Sport. Bit of a career resurgence. Won the fight against Ignacio Bahamondes. Won the fight against Jesus Pinedo, who was a one and done in the UFC. And then that was kind of it. I mean, just more injuries. And to the point of injuries, I want to bring this up, right? He pulled out of his first UFC fight back in 2011 against Paul Taylor, right? Mac Desi injury. He then pulled out of a fight in 2013 versus Edson Barbosa with an injury. He then pulled out of a fight with Sage Northcutt in 2017 with an injury. He pulled out of a fight with Diego Ferreira in 2018 with an injury. He pulled out of a fight with Devontae Smith in 2019 with an injury. And he pulled out of his second fight with, or his second rebooking with Nasrat Hawkfrost with an injury. And then the UFC said, you're fighting this guy and rebooked the the Hawkfrost fight. And that was his last fight. So over the last 12 years in the UFC, which is a dope-ass tenure, He's pulled out of six fights with injuries. He's maybe lucky to fight once a year if he's able to scrap that up. He does have 19 UFC fights over that 12-year span, just not a whole lot lately. So the win over Bahamundes looked good because Bahamundes is young and competing and doing well. But that's his only win over a guy that's currently on the UFC roster. And he fought like a 21-year-old Bahamundes. And as Ludovic Klein just showed us, like, Nazio Bahamondes is not figuring it out. So, how much stock can you put into Desi? Now, he's 38 years old, fighting at 155 pounds. Uh, as a natural featherweight, he probably does have a little bit of speed left over. But as you pointed out, not since Shane Campbell has he knocked anybody out. He's point fighting from the outside and using his speed. State of the outside, point fight. State of the outside, point fight. State of the outside, point fight. Now... Can you make that work against a guy like Malarkey? He couldn't make it work against Francisco Trinaldo, a 40-year-old man who quite literally just dog-walked him for all 15 minutes. And then his last fight against Hawkross, I thought not he looked good, that Hawkross looked like shit, and then Hawkross still got the two takedowns on him. So 
Malarkey probably comes forward, gets smacked up a few times, eventually gets a hold of him, eventually peels him to the ground, and at that point, sets up shop. If he can't easily take him down, he probably just does similar to what Trinaldo did, and that's back him up and throw a little bit more. Um, you've seen McDessie, at least in the Bahamanas fight, throw high volume. I don't know that he's going to do that against against a guy like uh, Malarkey that's going to be able to you know, throw in some takedowns in the mix as well and not you know stand upwards and just kind of give him all those angles. So... I don't want to bet Malarkey at this price. I don't. I'm not I just don't him. see any world. Yeah, I just don't see any world where I'm getting in on John McDessie. So again, I am a matchmaker. And if a guy pulled out of pulled out of my show six times, man. Oh, yeah. Bro, I'm not touching You're gonna him. give him a I'm bad not, fight along the way. I'm not touching a minus two eighty on it, but um we'll see. We'll see when most when more books open up props and stuff. Maybe a malarkey decision. I, I just think he's going to lean on the wrestling, use the wrestling, stay out of trouble. Um, use, I, yeah, I can't believe I went through to, like, fact check what you said. I mean, I feel like maybe over the years, we've probably said constantly that he should move down to featherweight. I don't know where He'd I got that down. idea. Yeah, I don't know where I got that sure. idea from. He's, I mean, he's been smaller than his opponent pretty much every single matchup I can ever recall. Um as you said, a uh, natural featherweight that just never fought in the division. I, uh, uh, and at I 38, just, of course, he's not going yeah. to be making any moves down to 145 pounds. What were you going to say? Yeah, so just super randomly. but uh, And he's my Canadian brother. I got to give him that. But John McDessie, I seen him fight. I just want to get make sure. I don't, I don't think it was UFC 129. UFC 140 in Toronto. You're probably there. John Jones versus uh, Leota Machida. And he fought on the card, and he was a big favorite, I remember. Eh, minus 170, not that big. I always remember he's bigger. But he's fighting Dennis Hallman, and the whole place is on board with him. And Dennis Hallman, minus the G-string incident. Dennis Hallman, my boy, okay? He's one of my favorite fighters of all time. So I'm like, Dennis is twice his size, fights at welterweight and don't look bad, beat Matt Hughes at welterweight. <laughs> Matt, he's going to take him down and just thrash him, and he did and it was like, that's what a real lightweight looks like. And McDessie's just a quick little kickboxer, but he comes from a traditional martial arts background. They don't cut weight. He doesn't have no experience of cutting weight and never did cut weight, but he got away with it. He won some fights. He had some cool little spinning uh, back kicks and some spinning, you know, uh, actually got spinning back kicked himself in Lando Venata. So some ups and some downs, but just never did cut the weight. But I remember the first time I seen him live, I was like, this guy is way too small for the division. And then years later, that's kind of still the conversation that we're having. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on down. We got Nazareth Hakprost taking on Landon Kinones. Minus 500 for Hakprost, plus 370 for Landon. Who you got? So this also does feel super trappy. Looks trappy when you can suggest what are the big favorites on this card. Okay, you look at them, and Nazareth certainly is one of them. So then what's the likelihood of one of these big favorites screwing up, and who's it going to be? Well, Hackfrost falls on that list. He doesn't seem to be the guy he was. You give me this kid a couple years ago, it seemed like the sky was the limit for him. He's going out there, putting on decent performances, I don't know. I just don't know if there's something missing. He actually spent time with Faraz Ahabi at TriStar, so made zero improvements the entire time he was there. And now he's just kind of been floating around here or there. I go back to his fights with Mark Casey, knocks him down, land 93 significant strikes. His fight with Joachim Silva, knocks him out in the second round, nice knockout. Uh, and then after that, it's just been like, not great. Low-level opponents, or whenever they give him the step up, he gets boxed off. So Drew Dober knocks him out, minute and 10 seconds. The guy's otherwise very durable, but that was like the beginning of the end. Dan Hooker 
just mauled him. He stayed in front of him the entire time, took him down three times, outworked him, out-hustled him, better striker, more pace. It was a bad performance from Nazareth. Bobby Green, Bobby Green just stayed to the outside, moved his head, slick, landed 188 significant strikes in that fight against Nazareth Hawkeross. Here's the thing. Those guys are good. Dan Hooker is good. Bobby Green is good. Drew Dober is good. So I'm kind of inclined to give him a pass when you're taking on some of those, those better guys. He looked vastly outclassed against them, but when they give him that step down, yeah, that's kind of where he shines. That's kind of where he gets his wins. Now, his last time against MacDessie, I thought he looked super tentative. Like, his hands don't look as good. He's unsure of himself. Bobby Green took part of his soul because he just didn't really want to engage. He was also having a trouble getting a read, trouble getting timing. He talked a lot of shit about John McDessie in the pre-fight. He had trained with John McDessie at TriStar on a number of occasions, and there was some legitimate bad blood. It just seemed to me like he was a little hesitant to let his hands go, relied more on grappling him up against the cage and taking him down. So not a great performance. He's still young, still making some improvements on paper, but fight to fight, I don't see them. Against actually good strikers, vastly outclassed. Against actually good grapplers, vastly outclassed. And he hasn't really been able to put the pieces together on the fight to fight. So all problems. Now, all problems that would have been there had he taken on, say, Sam Patterson. Sam Patterson's 0-1 in the UFC, but he poses a lot of problems. And that was supposed to be the fight last week in Paris. Patterson gets hurt. They can't get Nazrat a guy. So instead they say, you know what? Don't fight in Paris. We'll move you over here. Lando Quinones gets the call. Quinones is taking the fight on three weeks' notice. So as much as I really want to fade Hackbrass, and I do, Lando Quinones is probably just not the guy. And I used to do this all the time. I said, this guy's not that good. I don't care who he's fighting. I'm going to fade him. I, I don't think he is that good. And then the older you get and the more you get burned, it's like, well, who is the opponent? Because even though he's bad, you, you need some degree. Now, Landon, he's fast. Again, more of a traditional martial arts type stance. He's in and out. Uh, I would say, you know, he's got some decent speed and he could play a tricky game to the outside and maybe give him some type of fit, some type of problem. But one, he's making his UFC debut. He's on three weeks notice. All of that's not good. He was on the Ultimate Fighter this season, got submitted by a triangle choke, not a good look in 2023, by Jason Knight, who's a dope triangle choke guy anyways. But in a, a minute, in a minute. I don't know that there's a whole lot there or a whole lot of a reason why this guy should have been signed to the UFC. But a loss here he is. They need somebody. Relatively short notice. He's willing to step up. This is his dream. You just got ousted on the Ultimate Fighter like nothing. And it was uh, rookies against veterans. The veteran choked you out a minute into the fight. A guy who actually used to fight at 145 pounds legitimately. Choked him out in the first round. Now, Nazareth's not the grappler that Jason Knight is. I'm just saying, Landon, there's got to be some steps. And even if he was able to come out here and fluster Hackcross with his footwork, with that unorthodox movement, with those quick strikes in that kicking game, even if he was able to do that for the first round, can he continue it for the second and third? His cardio is not bad, but it is three weeks' notice. It is a big pressure spot. It is going to be a hot live crowd. It is UFC debut. I think all of that will tax him enough that Hackcross just get, catches up to him, gets a little bit closer takes him down like let's face it this kid ain't bobby green this this kid ain't any of the other good contenders that hack ross has gone against he's not dan hooker he doesn't have that kind of takedown in his back pocket so this should allow hack ross to get that relief he needs to get his confidence going he's coming off a win over mcdessey good signs still only 29 all good stuff 
but he, he needs to get his ass in gear at some point. Quinones presents some issues because Hyperos is kind of looking half disinterested these days, but just not enough for me to take that dog shot. So got to go with hack cross again. I just, I I know I've been whining about the line and the odds. It's like we record the show on a Wednesday by the time you record, I can't sell you a whole bunch of bullshit. These lines aren't that good on a lot of these guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, Landon Canona is on, 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 uh, the ultimate fighter. It was kind of funny him being in the house with Jason Knight, like after that fight happened, like Jason Knight kind of just leveled with him. He's just like, bro, like you shouldn't have went to the ground with me. He's just like, I'm a black belt. Um, like that is like, that should have been like hot lava to you. Like there is no business whatsoever going there. Like it was a monumental mistake and he paid for it in less than a minute. It was such a bad look. Um, I, there's no way I could possibly ever get to hack press um, from a betting perspective. I guess I'll pick them, but like, just cause it seems pretty knockout or bust for Canones and he's going to have to prove something to me before I'm going to be able to back him with my own money, particularly like my, yeah, just because the one spot that I really know him best from is him just making an absolute colossal mistake in the biggest moment of his career, basically on the ultimate fighter show. Right. Um, it's hard for me to actually back him with my money. So, but yeah, hack for us for what we've seen from, um, it's minus 500. I'm just never, ever, ever, ever getting to that. Uh, the volume can be kind of low sometimes. I don't think he's really elite at any skill set, to be perfectly honest. He's a little bit of a jack of all trades, but, and that's, that's probably enough to get the W here. But yeah, minus 500 is just like I'm, I'm priced out of the equation. Moving on down, we've got Charlie Radke taking on a Blood Diamond. Minus 320 for Radke, plus 270 for Blood Diamond. Went and watched a little bit of Charlie Radke's performances. I don't think he's great, but he doesn't need to be great to secure takedowns and utilize a superior grappling game here. Like, uh, Blood Diamond is, you know, pretty... He's not a prospect by any stretch of the imagination. What is this guy like? Mid-30s at this point? Yeah. 35 years old. Obviously, he's Israel Adesanya's buddy, training partner. Um, that's why he's got the job or got the spot in the UFC. Sure, he surprised. He survived 15 minutes against Kosi. I feel like that kind of spoke more to the fact that like Kosi didn't really have much of a submission grappling game to speak of. I see more from Radke in terms of submission skills. Obviously, he's done it. In a bunch of his uh, bunch of his fights, uh, the Raheem Forrest fight where he won the uh, CFFC championship, I watched that one back. Yeah, his ability to get to the back, get to the get to the rear naked choke, it's there. I see some of the entries to his takedowns; they seem pretty solid. I don't think that this guy's going to be some sort of like big problem problematic type of fighter in the UFC moving forward, but he doesn't need to be in this fight. Um, just don't just don't fight a kickboxing game plan. You know, from the opening bell, go across there, secure a takedown, and fish for a submission. It seems very easy in theory. And in practice, frankly, it should be relatively easy for him. Um, yeah, just don't... Don't try to, you know, go out there, try to entertain the fans, put on a show for people, 
and it should uh, it, it should kind of just fall into place. Uh, what is his number by sub? I mean, I feel like that's like the only play possible for me to really make here. I don't do the parlay game like you. Best number on market plus one ninety Radke by submission. I think that's very very playable. Uh, what are your takes here? Yeah, mixed emotions about this one. So so, and we've had this literally this exact same discussion about a bunch of other fights. The line is whack. I don't want no part of Charlie Radke at this line. But is that enough to take Blood Diamond, Paul? No. No, it's not enough to take Blood Diamond. But shit, man, it's tempting. Here's the thing with Charlie Radke. So Charlie Radke makes his pro May debut in 2012. It's 11 years ago. 11 years ago, he wins one fight. And then he takes five years off. Took five years off for no apparent reason. Comes back in 2017. And then since 2017, he's been fighting. He was 3-3 three and three in his first six fights at 155 pounds. So he's a non-contender who had taken a five-year hiatus, been around the block a bunch of times, three and three as a 55-er, and was coming off a loss to Justin Montalvo, who's a bum, by second-round knockout. His career is essentially fanned out. He's not really going to get to the heights he wants. This is only like two years ago. Three and three, 55-er, just lost to Montalvo. Things aren't looking good for you. But... He moves to 170. And dude, I don't know what clicked for him. Maybe it was bad weight cuts. Maybe he had more energy. Maybe it was he just turned the corner in his career. But he looked way better at 170 pounds, man. And he's been fighting as such. He's in your face. He's aggressive. He likes to throw down. He's got good power. Uh, is Wrestling, I mean, like offensively, he's not shooting a whole lot of takedowns. So I don't know if I would rate his offensive wrestling. But the kid can scramble. He's got some decent hips. And he does a good job of ending up in advantageous positions. His last fight out you see against... uh. That Raham Forrest ends up on his back, sinks in the rear naked choke. Fight before that against Caleb Crump, first round knockout at 170. Caleb Crump, two fights later, went the distance of Torrance Finney, only guy to ever go the distance of Torrance Finney at 185 pounds. Like he's got good durability and fights out of elevation fight team. So good training partners. Like th- those two, a guy like me, are nice wins. They're good wins. Radke is figuring it out at 170, but he's 33 years old, probably is a natural 155er has been fighting fairly low level. And yeah, first round submission over Forrest. First round submission over Caleb Crump. Before that, it's a split decision win over Jonathan Pierce. But you watch that fight, he tires. He tires once the guy doesn't go over in the first. His wins are usually early. And so I think if you're the UFC, Blood Diamond should not be on the roster. He should have never been on the roster. There was no good sense in signing this guy with his credentials, other than he was Izzy's buddy, sure. And what were the end results? He lost to Jeremiah Wells pretty quick. But they give him another one, and he loses to Orion Koski. The experiment's over. They give him another one. They're trying to, I think, give him as close to a winnable fight possible. Now, why Radke? Well, Radke, not a big welterweight. And so, Blood Diamond, Mike Mathetha. <clears throat> sorry. You know, two inches tall, he's going to have a longer reach. On paper, the kickboxing pedigree is there for Mathetha. You know, he competed a lot locally in those kickboxing tournaments. I don't, I I honestly wouldn't consider him a high-level kickboxer. But he had some sneaky techniques. He had some okay wins. And I suppose by their standard, you know, he's an okay kickboxer. He's had a city kickboxing. He's got a plethora of good training partners, most of which are good kickboxers. If they're saying this guy's a good kickboxer, it's from sparring sessions in the gym and you're inclined to believe it. So you want to believe that this guy at his best in just a pure striking battle could maybe do something. The thing is the two fights they've given him, Jeremiah Wells, he's not going to stand with you. He's a Henzo Gracie BJJ black belt and a brick of a man. He's going to take you down, which he did. Ryan Koski, 
did take him down. Matheta looked better in that fight. His cardio held up a little bit, and he pulled off maybe a close to a late rally, but he couldn't put away Orion Koski. And that brings me back to my point that he's not that good of a kickboxer. Orion Koski's dead with his hands down, huffing for air, and you can't put him away. Then, like, again, how much power do you have? How good is the kickboxing? There's no way that you would want to bet Blood Diamond. There just there really isn't. But again, it's when you're looking at passive victory for big underdogs, it's like if Charlie Racky stood right in front of him and solely struck with him, then Mike Matheta has a chance. Blood Diamond has a chance. And that's kind of what Radke's going to do. In terms of the grappling, Charlie Racky's not going to initiate the grappling. And even if he did, better grappler, don't get me wrong, but conceivably the smaller man coming up from 55, right? Uh, you know, oh, geez, Blood Diamond's 35 years old. He needs to take on an older guy with not as much, with not that much experience. Well, that's kind of what Radke is. He's 33 years old. He's been fighting for 11 years and he has 10 pro fights. So this is a closer fight and it's, it's in Australia. I'm not sure that that really matters for Blood Diamond, but I think, I know New Zealand and Australia, there's a difference. I get it. All of those guys will get a pop from the crowd. They will. Canada's gigantic. Would we give a pop to some guy from BC? Yeah. Yeah, we would. Right? I think all those guys are going to be... He could squeak it out. And I just... The odds on Radke are enough to be like, I don't want no part. So we also did talk about what is the pick versus what is the value. And you don't get caught chasing value. Yeah. I think I only officially have one underdog because Anton Pleasureman Turkali, uh, he's the favorite now. I need another underdog. I feel like Blood Diamond could be the guy. And as I say that, it's Blood Diamond, dude. What are you doing? What are you doing? So uh, Austin Lane, not the PRP pick, maybe Blood Diamond. But if you're being smart about it, you want either no part or, yeah, I get I get why Radke's the favorite. It's just I'm kind of tempted by the fact I don't think the line is accurate. Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't think, I think you're underwriting Radke's wrestling. Um, and I think he will be able to get takedowns. Like, I watched a few of his fights, saw him get to the hips, and I'm like, that seems like it's enough against Mike Manthea, Blood Diamond. Um, it doesn't take very much. I think Radke... You know, wins this fight by sub and then loses every other fight that he has in the promotion and then gets cut. Like, that's kind of the I, career trajectory I, I'll, I'll that just, I see here. Let me just throw one in your court. You let me know. But it, with Blood Diamond versus Jeremiah Wells, it was one for six on the takedowns. Wells shot six takedowns and got one of them. Him versus Koski, who wrestled in college, three for eight. Koski shot eight takedowns. You think Charlie Radke is going to shoot multiple takedowns? If he doesn't get the first one, is he going to stick to it? Or is he going to hear the noise of the crowd, stare across a guy named Blood Diamond, who's a kickboxer, and say 50 Gs would be life-changing for a 33-year-old UFC debuting fighter? I mean, f- fighting Did against a 33-year-old kickboxer. I mean, you go in, you go into this game, this fight against him. I don't, th- I don't think anybody looks at it. And says, I'm going to just stand and trade with this guy. You, If you watch like his highlights on the, you know, obviously we were a while ago. But it's like, guy has some flashy, flashy knockouts on his kickboxing record way back in the day. Um, no, I think you stick to a game plan. You make this ugly. You face, put him up against the fence. Maybe you don't even necessarily need the takedown. But by holding him up against the fence, 
you get to his back. By getting to his back, you secure a choke. So that's kind of how I would see. If I was kind of coaching up uh, Charlie Radke, that's how I would approach this fight. Don't just hang out at range. That's how you're going to lose this fight. If Charlie goes in there, he has he has a career crossroads in front of him. If Charlie goes out there and bangs it out with Blood Diamond, the way the fans want him to, and the way the UFC wants him to, if he goes out there and does that, win or lose, doesn't matter. His next fight going to be against a Trevor Peak type, going to be against a, a Mariscal type. He goes out there and takes him down and clings onto his back and tries to choke him out. The next guy he fights, his last name will either end with an O and a V or an E and a V. He will have a flag that has three colors, pr- primarily red, white, and blue, and uh, the guy's going to toss around like a sack of potatoes. He will be Russian cannon fodder if he goes out there and decides to grapple in a banger versus banger matchup. He takes that path of least resistance. That's not who's here for, man. 33, the CFFC champion, super exciting. If he fights smart, smart thing to do. If I was his coach, I'd be saying, fight smart, kid. I don't think it'll work out for a long term. If he goes out there and bangs it out, fan favorite, have some more career longevity, try to chase some more $50,000 bonuses. It's not going to work out for him long term, regardless of what he does out there. Give I me think a three to one shoey bet. I want a three to one shoey bet no, on Blood Diamond. We already have right a shoey bet, and I That's already told coward. you. I could. Be I already four. told you next week. I have to like do our show, export it. I got to do a whole bunch of things. Then I got to drive over to the airport. If I do a three to one, or if I if I'm doing all these, I, I can't. I won't even be able to get to the airport, Cody. I will let you. It's, you pass sound it off. like a What's bad friend. Card? You're trying to get me to drink and drive. <laughs> You know what? Sounds My dangerous. Apologies. It sounds way but, too dangerous. Maybe on a future uh, episode we'll do it. Th- I mean, yeah. Would, I guess it would only be two. You know what? Screw it. No, three to one. Ah, mm, uh, okay, fine, fine. I'll tell. I'll tell. Fine, you three to three to you, one. You can... We'll we'll do it. We'll do it. So okay. you have a two to one on lane. I'm I'm giving you like slight little points here. No, no, it's here. a straight up on lane. So you it's could a straight up on lane. Oh yeah, it's a straight up on lane. Three to one and three, three to, to one, one on blood. blood diamond. Oh wait, mm-hmm. wait a second. No, I can't. Based on literally based on my schedule next week and the fact that I have to drive over to the airport and drive home and go home. There's no it, that would be very irresponsible. But I can make that bet. I can make that bet with you. I just wouldn't be able to do the three on next week's episode. Yeah, I would. We would have to push. We would have to push that forward to another episode. Because my my schedule for getting to the airport, it's we can't be doing that. That's too much, bro. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Looking at the next card, it's crossover to Shevchenko too. And looking at the card, I might need four shoeies just to get through that one. But yeah, after that, we got Fizzy of Gamrot. Fun times. Mm-hmm. Let me just start like a uh, like a, a Goodwill bank. Yeah, I, I will I will put them aside. And yeah. then on a very special episode, I'm cashing them in. Saying, Paul, you owe me a six-pack of shoeies. <laughs> Yeah. And you can take an Uber we home can, on we that. We can add them to the bank. We can add them to a bank. I just won't promise. Because <coughs> if I lose both of these, shooing four, and Ooh. then I have, I, I have to get to the airport for 8 p.m. Uh, for a flight back to Toronto. Irresponsible, bro. It would be way too irresponsible. Don't drink and drive. Even if your friend 
like Cody tries to influence you into doing so. I think uh, you have to drive. You gonna take an Uber? We don't. No, no Cody lives out like in the sticks. Oh, I don't get Ubers. Like, Ubers don't come where I am. <laughs> like where? Where? I mean, yeah. Uber doesn't even show up to where Cody lives. I would imagine. So no, you can get Uber Eats, but it's like some select outskirt places. Yeah. You're like, this is good pizza. And it's like, well, it's the only pizza. So it's good. There's to be no good. cops on the road. Bad. There's nobody on the road. There's just horse and carriage, horse and buggies out on the road where Cody lives. So like, that's where his mentality is coming from. Um, but yeah, we, we can, we can make that bet. We can make that bet, but uh, I will not be cashing. I'm, in I'm 40, for 45 minutes from my door, 45 minutes right to the CN Tower, right to the ACC or Scotiabank, whatever the hell they call those arenas now. 45 minutes, but you're right, Paul. 45 minutes out, it's horse and buggy. And he's not lying. The local hospital out here, there's literally a horse hitch. You can hitch a horse for the Amish people. But uh, yeah, you're 45, yeah, backwards. You're 45 minutes when 45 there's... You're 45 minutes when there's no traffic, which there always is traffic where you live. I'm like no, 10 minutes. If you're driving to, rush I'm, hour, I'm yeah, 10 minutes rush to hour. downtown Halifax, 15 minutes to downtown. Oh, downtown Halifax. Ooh, ooh. I mean, what's Cody, where you, where you live, the, you are not getting, you're not getting to the CN tower in 45 minutes unless it's like two o'clock in the morning. Come on, give your head a shake. You know how traffic is. You can't even get from like, you can't I get will, from like, you can't get you from like, you can't get from like square one. In Mississauga. Dog, I got downtown. to work the other day at Fight Network. I got to work the other day at Fight Network 42 minutes, and I had to go through CNE. Everything shut up. I went by your old house. That's like my little back cut because you can get away from that CNE bullshit. Uh, got around it Pfft, like nothing. Yeah, what 42. time did you go? What time did you go? During Way rush go. hour? I'm, I'm, I'm on the way back, it was like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, on there the we way, go. So- on the way there, dog, 42 minutes, so. We've got Shane Young taking on Gabriel Miranda. Shane Young, a minus 170 favorite. Miranda can be had for plus 150. Another steady kickboxing guy. Shane Young is kind of a guy. It's like I've never really been too impressed with him. And this stretch of fights has been very uninspiring. Obviously, Ludovic, Ludovic Klein knocks him out um, with, a, with a kick to the head. First round. Bye-bye. You're done. Uh, Omar Morales, very, very tentative in that fight, 46 significant strikes. Um, and then Blake Builder, I mean, 80 significant strikes doesn't look all that bad on paper, but it's like Builder kind of follows that up afterwards. And we're like, okay, you know, he loses to Kyle Nelson, isn't able to utilize any sort of wrestling in that fight. Isn't really able to put too, too much together. I don't know. Not all of these city kickboxing guys are going to win. I know Gabriel Miranda came in and uh, and got molly whopped by Benoit Saint Denis in his UFC debut. That was at 155 pounds. You know, give him a full camp. Now he's fighting at 145 for this fight. Feel like Shane Young is the guy to go down from the city kickboxing crew. Um, you know, or at least one of the ones to go down from the city kickboxing crew. Uh, Miranda should have like decent uh, edge in terms of grappling, you know, BJJ here. And I don't think he's too much of a fish out of water on the feet. So um, yeah, there doesn't seem to be the killer instinct from Shane Young. And I think it's dogger pass 
Gabriel Miranda for me. What about you? Yeah, so again, you know, which underdogs will come through, which value side are you picking? I think Gabriel Miranda can win this fight, and he happens to be the value side. So this, to me, ends up being one of the dog picks this week. Gabriel Miranda you did not look good in his UFC debut, but I think you made a good point, or at least the same points I'm thinking. Short notice debut, tough. Upper weight class, tough. Benoit Saint-Denis, oh, God damn, dude. That's a rough outing. So you can look really bad in that spot. To me, it's not a deal breaker. Now you go back to his stuff on the regional scene, there's not a whole lot there. You can't find a whole bunch of the fights. The ones you do find, they're from 21, 2021, 2020. You know, not exactly the, the most recent body to work to go by, but he seems to be a fairly big guy uh, for the weight class. Looks like he'll be for 145 anyways looks like he'll have a little bit of size on shane young and i think he can use that to get this fight to the ground i think grappling is going to be the path of victory for him young is a kickboxer young has been defeated by kickboxers sure but the path of least resistance would probably be get him to the ground and now grapple him miranda has some slick enough bjj he did ever so briefly get a takedown on benoit saint denis so with a full camp as you mentioned down to 145 natural weight class the takedown should materialize against Shane Young. If it materializes, you could have a whole lot of a whole lot of success there. Now, uh, in his last two fights, he got taken down by Blake Builder once, who can wrestle a little bit. Not a great fighter, but can wrestle. But the two takedowns to Omar Morales. I mean, again, not a striker or not a not a grappler. More of a striker, more of a low output guy in his mid thirties, and even he's able to just mix in a couple of takedowns because he wants to. So, Miranda takes him down he probably ends up taking his back at some point he probably ends up getting into those advantageous positions the question here though is young's not exactly chinny he doesn't exactly have bad submission defense so young may be losing the fight but miranda needs to keep the gas going he needs to be able to fight for two of the three rounds and survive that last young's not a big power puncher so win the first two rounds and survive if need be but the takedown should be there for the first two again if this is lines reversed Maybe I'm considering Shane Young because he's at home and all the city kickboxing guys and he's got the striking advantage and on paper might have the cardio advantage. But no, this is dogger pass. This is a straight up dogger pass. I think Miranda ends up getting the fight to the ground. He has the better grappling. Maybe he snags something. Maybe he just wins two of the rounds. But sign me up for Miranda at that plus 170. All right. And finally, is it, not, is it, it might not be plus 170, but otherwise plus. It's plus 140. Plus I mean, plus 150 on the board that I've got, but like plus 145 actually seems like the best on market right now. And like even like fi- or chasing like submission props here doesn't really seem like the play because they're really not giving you much to no. much to work with on the submission prop. I was looking at that earlier and I was just like, I think I saw like a plus 195 and I'm like, well, He's plus 150 almost like on the money line. Like there's really give me a reason to play your props, sir. I mean, there is a plus 280 out there. It's not the worst, but I think I would just stick to the uh, to the money line here. They are uh, not really giving you much meat on the bone on the prop side, uh, particularly in this fight. Finally, we got Kevin Jusset taking on Kiefer Crosby. Jusset, a minus 130 or minus 150 favorite. Crosby can be had for plus 130. This is very low-level fight. I've watched a little bit of tape on both of these guys, and I was not incredibly impressed with really either of their work. Cros- Crosby seems to be a bit of a banger. Ends up in like pretty high, like entertaining, uh, high-velocity exchanges early in his fights. But like that Charlie Leary fight, it's like, he was just standing there, just eating shot after shot after shot. Uh, 
you said on the other hand i was hoping like i'd be like oh well you know see kickboxing guy maybe this is going to be kind of uh an easy fight from like kale the, i went and watched the caleb ride out fight i believe yeah, he like didn't seem to have very, like he was getting taken down like kind of at will it wasn't they're just i don't know i just didn't really see very much to love from this guy um yeah honestly i another city kickboxing guy where they're just finding like an opponent th- slap him on there maybe you know maybe he's got some friends and family who will who will fill the venue uh i did take uh fight doesn't go to decision minus 130 um like a small bet on it I, I I suppose if Juset wins, I could kind of see. I don't know if he's like the biggest biggest finisher from what I see. Like I don't see too much pop in a lot of his shots. But Crosby is such a defensive liability on the feet that like if he fights the way that I've seen in a few of his fights, the guy just takes way too much damage. Kind of throws caution to the wind. There isn't doesn't, doesn't seem to be any striking defense to be spoken of so seems like a decent spot to uh you know maybe the fight the the card starts out with a finish here so I did put some money on the fight doesn't go to decision here in terms of a pick I guess I'll pick Giuseppe but I don't like it what about you yeah this is this is a terrible fight well no this is a fun fight you're a fight fan and you're sitting at home and you're passionate and you want some entertainment, this is dope. This is better than any soccer game or basketball game. This is MMA. Love it. But, like, from a try to give a read on it standpoint, neither of these guys should be in the UFC. They're not considered at this level. And there's just going to be a whole lot of red flags all over the place. This Kevin Jusset guy, he is a total outlier, absolute outlier of city kickboxing. City kickboxing features Israel Adesanya, kickboxer, Kai Car France. Dope striker. Dan Hooker, solid striker. Uh, Shane Young, he's a striker. I don't know if I'd call him solid. Brad Riddell, solid. Carlos Alberg, solid. Even Bloodine is a striker. Juset is not a striker. In fact, he looks super stiff and robotic standing. His striking is not all that good. He doesn't seem very comfortable with it, but he likes to wrestle. He likes to get these guys and peel them to the ground and ground and pound them. Cardio seems pretty solid, but he's 30 years old. And he just doesn't fight with that same mold as the rest of them. So I'm not super impressed by him. If the fight does stay standing, I think he's pretty stiff and rigid. Charlie Leary went for it a little bit. Some of those other guys that Kiefer Crosby fought in Bellator, like they're just they're a little bit better in the striking department. What he needs to rely on is getting this fight to the ground. And uh, that that is where I think he can win the fight. But like I'm just not super, super like decisive about it, super passionate about it. When I look at Kiefer Crosby, yeah, never never been a fan of him. He's also 33 years old, don't see a whole lot of improvements out of him. He went four and three in Bellator, four and three. That's not exactly very inspiring. And at 33 years old with a four and three Bellator record, just got cut from Bellator. Well, why, why would the UFC sign him? I'm sure he's McGregor's buddy in SBG Ireland and he works security for him and all this and that. But is that enough? Is that why they signed him? And and of course, with Juicean, I don't think he should be in the UFC either. It just so happens that he's buddies with these guys and the card is in Australia and it's a city kickboxing card and quite literally all your teammates are on it. You might as well be on it too. So I'm tempted by that dogger pass, right? Dogger pass. Why not? Underdogs plus money. I think if the fight does stay standing, I think Kiefer Crosby is a little bit stronger. He's got some legitimate power and his last fight 
his last MMA fight, he knocked out Cowboy Oliveira, which I get it. He's not who he used to be. He's three and three since he got cut from the yeah. UFC, but he blasted Cowboy Oliveira early in I the first that round. The, it, it was sad to see. It feels like all <laughs> Cowboy Oliveira. This we've yeah. talked about it a million times, but the guy's got like ten kids or whatever, maybe even more. Um He's the Monday. Since he he's got cut Monday. by the UFC, well, he's had. I was actually looking at this earlier. He had a grappling three, match against fights. Damian Maya, and then so <laughs> yeah, he's had like six fights in like like a twelve month span. It's just like clearly he's just like I got so many kids to feed. I'm just taking whether I'm in shape or whatever. He's just taking fights at this point, which is kind of sad to see. But you know, you got to pay the bills somehow. That's kind of how it seems to be going for him right now so not taking too much stock in that uh, Crosby fight because what he was I guess that one was like actually four four months after he had fought uh, previously but like Cowboy Cowboy Oliveira has been taking all comers since he got cut by the UFC yeah and that's why I want to give him the props because it's a marquee win on the resume, but how much does it weigh in in that moment? It's like Brad Tavares versus Chris Weidman. Eh, I'm the idiot that picked Weidman. I was chasing Valley. I don't know what I was doing. doesn't matter. On paper, no one can ever take away from Brad Tavares that he beat Chris Weidman. The reality is the guy broke his leg in the first round and you still went 15 minutes with him. He's not who he used to be. He's got lots of setbacks. He's 40 years old. He hasn't fought in two years, but no one will ever take away from it's a good name on the resume. But yeah, dude, he's technically won three fights in a row since Bellator cut him. The first one is Brian Lowe Anaho, 6-12. and 12. The next one, Cowboy Oliveira. And the next one, he boxed uh, Aaron Chalmers from the Gordy Shore, the Jordy Shore reality show, in like a celebrity boxing bullshit event for Kingpin. And nobody got paid. Nobody got paid from the show. So just a disaster. Maybe he's a freak show fighter. He's Connor's buddy. SBG. He's got the accent. He calls himself big daddy. You know, he's got a decent physique on him. He's marketable in some capacity. Great. But well, how is he done against actual mixed martial artists? And that's where I can't get behind him. You mentioned the Charlie Leary fight, which is bad news, but even his fight with George Karahanian, Karahanian's 36 years old. Karahanian went, would go on to lose three in a row after that. So it's Karahanian's last win in MMA. And he subs him like nothing in the first round. Four, four submissions in the last 10 years for Georgia Karahanian. Three of them by guillotine. One arm triangle. Like nothing. Took him down, subbed him. Enemy territory. Bad, bad look. Bad look. Even this fight with Mike Jackson, not the one people are thinking about. It gets him to self-disqualify with an illegal knee. Pulls a Dean Barry, essentially. Just gets himself disqualified as a big favorite. His fight with Amik Furtado, split decision. Gasses out immediately. Has no plan B. Has no grappling to fall back on. Squeaks out a split decision. None of it's been good. So why at 33 would he suddenly just become some good fighter? How does that suddenly just become something? It doesn't. But now I got to take Doucette to go out and beat him. So... Yeah, he's got the hometown crowd. He's got city kickboxing. I think he does have the wrestling and the grappling advantage, and I'm hoping that he just leans on Crosby in the first round, gets him down the second and the third, and is able to move like that. Crosby's win condition is first-round knockout, and it's on the table. It, he can knock out Jusant in the first round. Jusant's stiff, probably shouldn't be a minus-150 favorite, and is there to get hit. So Crosby live in the first. If we can get out of the first... Live bet on Jusant, or or at least that's when you'll see Jusant take over. He's just got to make sure he's conscious after five. Because Crosby will go for it. He's got nothing to lose. Shouldn't be here in the first place. He will go for it. He is dangerous, but only for about five minutes. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, let's wrap up here. I, I have some money on Crosby, Joseph fight doesn't go to decision, minus 130. I just think Crosby fights seem to be usually a one-round wonder, right? Like, he gets finished a lot in the first round. He seems incredibly hittable. Jusset doesn't seem like a potent finisher, but sometimes it's more about your opponent and how what he brings to the table. Interest. I have some interest in uh, Gabriel Miranda on the money line there. Um... Malarkey decision has my attention. Jenkins decision has my attention. We'll see how that goes. If we're if we're flying high, Bam Bam Tuivasa may get a little bit of money come Saturday night, and uh, Strickland on the money line. If we're really having a, a decent night, because I just think it's just it's just there's not a shred of value on Izzy at that price. But uh, and then over on prize picks, Adesanya, less than 110 significant strikes. I feel like there's a lot of ways for him to get there. The Volkov line, I said 27.5, moved to 31.5. Don't mind it now, but it's just like every little strike that gets added to the fold there makes you a little bit nervous because obviously this fight is 50-50 to go to seven and a half minutes. So it's a little bit dicey. I like Olberg less than 50.5 significant strikes. I think he's going to get Da Woon Jung, Da Woon Jung, hopefully the same person. I think he's going to get get him out of there early, probably in the first round, maybe early in the second. Uh, Malarkey, more than 1.5 takedowns. I think that's his best path to victory against uh, John McDessie. And Radke, less than 32.5 significant strikes. Which kind of gives me an out if your boy Blood Diamond shows up, knocks him out early in the fight. And then we got that. But I, I, I see Radke kind of getting this fight to the ground, getting a submission. But uh, that's not what you saw on tape. Big Blood Diamond guy who is going to be on the PRP, which you might as well hit him with right now, Code. I don't know if he's going to be on the PRP. What? But, but, Whoa. Wow. You picked wow. him. How is he not on the PRP? I took him on a three-to-one shoey bet with you, and now he's going to win because you take a shoey bet against anybody. They're automatic curse. But uh, all jokes aside, all jokes aside, it's blood diamonds. Like I said, I just I, there's certain guys, there's value. You just can't quite behind them. My underdogs are, not in the main event, but we're going to Israel Adesanya, Alexander Volkov, Manel Cobb, Austin Lane's dog number one. Anton Turkali, we'll just call that one even. Carlos Ulberg, Jack Jenkins, Jamie Malarkey, Nazrat Hakparas, Charlie Radke, Gabriel Miranda, dog number two, Kevin Jusset. If I end up going to Blood Diamond, we'll see weigh-ins, we'll see bullshit, we'll, we'll, we'll see value, all that crap. But he, he would be the PRP pick, yeah. Which means Lane needs to be on the second last level, which means I need Lane to show up and do the damn thing. So... You know, this is a card where, again, who's that one big favorite that's going to screw up? I think Tafa. Is that a, a big enough favorite where one of the bigger ones screw up? Probably. Just hopefully they're not all the way at the top. For prize picks this week, a couple interesting ones that I don't mind. Paul may have already mentioned them, but um, I actually like the over on the Jamie Malarkey, 57 and a half significant strikes. I like the over on the Jack Jenkins, 58 and a half significant strikes, and the Alexander Volkov, 31 and a half. I haven't really seen many of the t- takedown props that I generally like. And I don't see anything from my boy Austin Lane yet, but keep back on that. And when yeah, I say my boy Austin there. Lane, now they, they never have the underdogs. Underdogs are never oh, yeah. listed, Cody. What are you well, now? 
I don't I see I can't blast my own sponsor, but it's like I can't play prize picks because I'm in Ontario, Canada. So I know. thanks for outing me to the people, Paul. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good job. I'm giving them fake advice. Take my fake advice on prize picks into those overs. It worked out last week. And then take my real advice on the parlays. Take it or don't take it. I don't really care. I don't want to hear you complain if we get it wrong. But the plan is you're gonna get it right. So nothing to worry about. Hopefully we can take this one out in style. Hopefully we can. Now I'm conflicted. I feel like because I have the three to one shoey bet on Blood Diamond, I really want to see Paul do it. So I'm cheering for him. And if I'm going to cheer for him, maybe I should play him. Well, it sounds like that's from... just that's just me getting really greasy, degenerate. Be smart, people. Be smart. Be smarter than I. Well, it sounds like from Cody's prize picks, his alleged prize picks would have Justin Taffa under one one hundred seventeen point five fantasy points. That sounds like a Cody Saftic play because. Do you know why Taffa's I was interested? got no chance. No chance. Should be 50-50 fight. Your words, not mine. And then uh, Radke, let's see. Just spam a whole bunch of... Yeah, Radke, fantasy score, under 98.5. Cody's play, play of the week. Um, do you think Blood Diamond wins by knockout, or do you think he... Decisions on the table here. Yeah, I mean, he could knock out Orion Kosky, who, again, is curled over and half dead. So, like, I don't think that big natural power is there. I think, if anything, he's just going to slightly outpoint him in a close kickboxing match, and hopefully the local crowd lends to that. For Lane, Lane's just going to knock him unconscious. So that one will probably have no controversy. And uh, the last time they fought, he finger-blasts him in the eye. Sure, his... He sure, his three, eyeball is bleeding. He threw three but punches and then I, I poked see. the guy. Like the fight didn't even I get can't, to, it's 29 seconds. I can't see. I can't see out of my bleeding eye. And then they're like, dude, your eye's bleeding. Is it that big of a deal? And he's like, oh my God. And then they stopped it. So he didn't have the heart of a lion. Okay, Tony Ferguson. His eye was really messed Tony up. Tony Ferguson's eye could have come out of the socket. He would have fought. The other thing is, and the first part's a joke, the second part's real. He immediately starts bitching online about like, I want my win money. I want my win money. It's like, dude, you guys get paid shit. So I hope everyone gets their win money. And I hope you guys all make more money and make millions of dollars. But he got poked in the eye. He wants his win money. Like, it's a no contest, dude. You want to fight this guy again? Yeah or nay? Okay, rebook it. And this time, not going to be an eye poke. going to be a close fist, kablamo, Austin Lane, UFC victory, bigger than anything he'd ever done in his football career. Good times. Good times. Little Cody hits an underdog. Good times. There's a flip side to that that exists. But we're not even going to talk about that. So let's just move on and hit some underdogs, Paul. So if any of the Taffa brothers are watching, that was Cody Saftik at CJ Saftik re- recently uh, reinstituted on Twitter. Don't come Don't come after me because I'm team Taffa. But yeah, his eye. You, you were just complaining about how he was a bitch his, because he didn't want to fight anymore. It, That's what I you did, just said. I did not say that whatsoever. I'm looking at a picture of his eye right now. It's like it was it was nasty, dude. And yeah, nasty. I mean, it was a really bad eye poke. It was about as bad yeah. of an eye poke. History will be fixed, hopefully, on the weekend. These guys will finally be able to throw down, but. There was Austin no, there was no quit, six, dude. There was no quit in him in that situation. His eye literally got impregnated. Like that's what happened there. And there was nothing. You keep talking about like, oh, he looked really good. It was twenty nine seconds. He landed three seconds. He landed mm. three strikes, and then I poked mm. him so bad that the fight had to be canceled. Like 
literally nothing happened. So it's like, I don't know how you can really look into that fight and be like, oh, yeah, I feel good about that. But anyway. Out of curiosity, out of curiosity, how many strikes did Toffa land? Zero. It was 29 seconds. It was 29 seconds. So as far as I'm concerned, Austin Lane tripled him up in the significant strikes count. And you're saying he's got zero chance? Well, he didn't triple him up. He he infinitied him up. Three nothing, Paul. Three three nothing. Yeah, no, I guess if you're going to zero times three is also zero. But Mm -hmm. do we got to get that specific with it? Do do we, Paul? Or can we not enjoy the good times? Future heavyweight champion of the world, according to Cody Saftik. But that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody and Megan, I'm Paul. Saying goodbye and good luck. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.